0: One, two, three, four, five, six,
1: seven, eight, nine,
0: ten He's tough,
1: but I'm Matt Riddle. I fought all around the world in steel cages, knocking people out and breaking bones. It's what I do. So again, you want me to knock him out or tap him out?
0: Hello there, folks. Welcome to We Don't Know Wrestling, back from a hiatus. Uh, I am your host, Sam, and with me this week is going to be Dylan Hales. Dylan, how are you doing?
1: I'm splendid. I watched every single WrestleMania weekend show in full, with the exception of Wildcat and Progress, which apparently have the same level of production capabilities. So there's that. that's where we are. Uh, I was going. I did Pod Blast on all the WWN shows for the pwo ptbn network. Uh, I was going to do a a sort of a weekend roundup, which I still might record. I think I'm going to record it tomorrow because I said I would do it. I was waiting for the Progress shows to come out, and they're still not out. Um, uh, at least not last time last time I checked. So, uh, Progress may effectively not exist uh, as far as I'm concerned. For the purposes of that uh and now that i've gotten that uh, uh little little quasi burial out of the way uh you can introduce the topic for today
0: and don't worry about your uh round table being timely because this podcast is gonna be the we don't know about the we don't know wrestling 100 <laughs> uh which came out about a month ago um and we're gonna go over your ballot similarly but probably not as uh in depth and as old, lengthy as your uh greatest WWE wrestler ever conversation uh, with your brother uh, over at the place to be nation. So uh, everyone go listen to that four-hour podcast. Then you'll get the kind of the gist coming into this one. Uh, I think that's a proper prelude to it. So first off, I just kind of want to g- get a handle on your whole process entering this bad boy. Um, Cause this is your second year doing a ballot. Um, over twice as many ballots being submitted. Um, how did you kind of tackle the process of putting together your list this year? Um, as everyone knows, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, knows that we don't know Wrestling 100, list of uh, the best wrestlers of 2017, um, ranked from a fan poll system, uh, received 72 ballots um, of 50 ballot wrestlers, 50 wrestler ballots and 100 wrestler ballots and uh, kind of hot them together to create something that uh, includes 600-plus wrestlers. Um, but uh, kind of like, what did you watch last year? Um, what kind of was your focus uh, in 2017?
1: Yeah, so uh, last year was kind of an interesting year for me because over the last several years, I don't think it's any secret that I've become in, in increasingly my interest has been shifted more and more toward the indie scene. I think for a lot of people who have been familiar with my uh, hashtag content for a long time, they know that I've always sort of been, uh, at least in the last decade, sort of slanted in the direction of indie wrestling. Um, but I think it's probably, I think it's fair, and I think you would probably agree with this, Sam, that that has been, if anything, just magnified in the last three or four years. Um And I think it's really reflected on my personal ballot. So one thing that you always run into with with lists like this is there's a lot of people who will want – they'll feel compelled. And there was some talk of this actually as the results were announced when they were released. There's people who feel compelled to vote for certain people almost because of their reputation or because they kind of concede that they have a lot of good matches even if they're not necessarily their favorite wrestler or their favorite style of wrestler. And uh, I think everybody feels that pressure for one degree or another. Um, this year is kind of interesting because I think this year my ballot is probably the least affected by that sort of thinking that it's ever been. <laughs> and I've been and while I've done just two of these we know, don't know wrestling 100s, I've, I was a participant in the WKO 100s for years prior to that. So I've basically been doing a year in top 100 for probably a decade now and uh, this, this go-around was, I would say, the most accurate reflection of my personal views without the influence of outside thought or uh, perspective yet. Uh, and and to that end, you saw a lot of independent wrestling and indie-centric stuff on my ballot, Um you saw and, – and I would say across a multitude of promotions, one thing you won't see a lot of on my ballot, which I think will become obvious, is there's not very much Japanese wrestling. Uh, I watched uh, actually quite a large amount of New Japan. I would say maybe two-thirds to three-quarters of their shows and I believe uh, – that that of their big shows. Um, and every single big match that got any hype at all, I, I believe I watched uh, – I watched most of the big All Japan matches last year, and I watched, you know, a smattering of other stuff, but I just didn't, to me, it was not a year where there was a lot of Japanese wrestling that really strongly connected with me. Same thing happened with Mexico. Um, I have been a longtime advocate of Lucha Libre, as you well know, uh, and there was a lot of fun stuff that I found sort of in the last maybe two months when I was trying to play catch-up, but... Not a lot that I thought rose to the level of great and not a lot that really stood out of my memory. So when I was putting this together – and I kind of put it together in different sections as we'll see when we talk about my my ballot. But when I was putting my ballot together, I, I was thinking about what wrestlers would in, – in 10 years' time, if I'm thinking about 2017 – What wrestlers would it feel wrong for me to have left out based on my viewing habits, what I enjoyed, and how good I thought their performances were when I did get to see them? And for that reason, there just wasn't a lot of Lucha Libre or a whole lot of Japanese wrestling, and there was a whole lot of independent wrestling. Um, As for the things that I like, I think it's pretty eclectic, and I think that'll be obvious once we start to break it down.
0: Well, all right. We're just going to tackle it, starting at number 100 on your ballot, going to 91, doing anything in batches of 10. So, starting from 100, going to 91. Avalanche, Nick Iggy, Deimos, PCO, Bucky Collins, Gunnar Miller, Brett Kakia, CJ Sparza, Gringo Loco, and Matt Fitchett. So there's pretty clearly a uh, kind of a – a trio, well, more than a trio. There's four AAW kind of specific wrestlers in here with Fitchett, Exparza, Gakia, and uh, Bucky. Um, I also got to have PCO on there, of course. One of the best luchadores uh, in the world at 98. Seems a little, little iffy there, Dylan. Um, but overall, it's really kind of an, an eclectic look of uh, indie guys that you probably wouldn't talk about too much uh, outside of most circles.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was basically my spots for guys who I felt really needed to make my list for one reason or another, but I knew I couldn't justify having them too much higher. That's basically what the entire bottom 10 was. Almost exactly, in fact, because everything above that, I think, are people that I could make really clear, like, entirely merit-based arguments for having them in the top 100. Not that I couldn't for these 10, but I feel like these 10, there's some favorite playing, but also just a lot of these were people that late in the game I went back and watched a lot of stuff. like Both of the Zero Gravity guys, I had went back and watched a lot of things, and I was like, wow, this is a great tag team. Nobody ever talks about them. They're as good, probably, as a lot of the great East Coast tag teams that get on the indies They get as much or more hype. It's just that they don't have as much stuff that makes tape because it's basically the AAW shows from LaSalle and occasional fan cam footage from other Chicago area indies, and that's it. Like you don't, you really don't see them anywhere else. Um, uh, I kind of felt felt the same way about Gringo Loco. I mean, if this was a list of my favorite people to watch, he would be like in my top ten because uh, I think he's he's to me he's the most fun. This will be controversial. Other than Héctor he's probably the most fun luchador to watch on the planet to me because he's an exceptionally good base who's very charismatic and can also fly, but doesn't look like he has any business being a flyer. Um, you know, So this, this whole batch is basically guys like that. Bucky Collins, I think for a lot of guys, he is an AAW guy, and I think a lot of his work there was good. But really it was his proving ground pro work with Stephen Wolfe that was kind of the thing that made me realize I, I did, couldn't in good conscience leave him off because in that promotion he's kind of a heel ace, Whereas an AAW he's a heel undercard guy and he's one of these guys that I think is sneaky good when it comes to being a character driven heel, but also having good offense and being able to like keep up with the super indie work rate type stuff. So this was just a good mix, mix of guys. Um, you know, you'll see that there are some big names that were left off my ballot and that's whatever. I don't really care. I don't really regret any of it. Uh, a- Avalanche at 100 was pretty much always a plan. Um, just because I didn't think he had enough breakout standout matches to be any higher, but I love watching him in WXW. And, you know, as for De- as as for Demos, uh, I think he's a great wrestler who probably deserves to be higher, but I don't think he had the matches uh that I saw to merit being substantially higher. And uh, you know, if you if you ask me to pick who would I rather watch, PCO or him, uh it's PCO, so PCO is one spot ahead of him. <laughs> uh
0: fair enough. Fair enough. Um yeah. So I guess my question is going to be for kind of these, these batches here. Um, we're a quarter into the year. Who is kind of over-delivering beyond their rank? Uh, who is kind of dropped off um, out of that group of 10? I don't mean to padlink this podcast, but I'm, I'm definitely interested.
1: Um, of, the, of this 10, I think Matt Fitchett has had a pretty good year um, sort of quietly um, when given the opportunities both in NWL, RIP – uh, as of today uh, uh, and um, you know even the besties even had a really good match well it was a good match mania weekend um, their, their match mania weekend at the pancakes and pile driver show um, so I think he's had a pretty good year a lot of these other guys there's just not enough footage that has leaked out yet obviously I think PCO has had a better year um, I enjoyed the Ethan Page match from Black Label I love the Walter match from WrestleMania weekend. He's got two matches from a, a obscure Canadian indie from this year that are up on YouTube. Um, both of them are probably too long, but I, I enjoy them, and they both have really hot crowds that are excited to see basically him do what it is that he does. So PCO is somebody that I would have higher. Um, everybody else, I think it's just too early to tell because I don't think – there's enough accumulated footage to make a strong case to move them up or down at this point.
0: Okay. Uh, all right. Let's move down to 90 through 81. 90, Jordan Grace. 89, Tank. 88, Carry Awful. 87, Ricochet. 86, Drew Galloway. 85, Eddie Kickston, 84, Mason Red. 83, Tomas Ciampa. 82, Brett Attitude. And 81, Donovan Dijak. So, Looking at this here, I, I can't really draw, like, a pattern. Um, this seems more of a randomized group of wrestlers here.
1: No, I mean, it's de- this is definitely uh, a hodgepodge that I think reflects the relatively large volume of wrestling from all over the world that I watch. If you look, one I would say the one pattern that you might be able to find in this is with people like... Tank, uh, and Amazing Red, and Brad Attitude, and Tommaso Ciampa, and even to a degree Donovan Dijak, there was not a ton of volume just because either they, in some cases, got signed to NXT, or they just worked for promotions where they couldn't, they, they, ta- they don't make tape, or they don't take a lot of dates, or they retired in the middle of the year, or they had an injury. So this was kind of like an area where I stuck people who I thought had really strong peaks, but... For one reason or another, they didn't have a complete year that you could really build a case off up to put them super high. Uh, as time has gone on, this – one thing I will say is if you looked at like my WKO ballots from say seven or eight years ago, they tended to be more – like I would be – I was more in the camp of if you had three or four really great matches, you could finish really high. As I've started to attend more wrestling shows, let alone be involved in the process of putting wrestling shows on, there – I'm I'm more likely to reward people for volume than I used to be, I think. And I don't know if that – what I don't know exactly what that reflects and why that bias has shifted, but it absolutely has shifted over time. So somebody like Amazing Red or Bright Attitude who only showed up maybe a handful of times all year but every single one of their matches is really memorable and really, really good, if not outright great, to me – Unless one of those matches was a clear match of the year contender and none of them were in my mind, there's like a cap. You're, you're not going to finish higher than, say, 70, right? Like, that, it's just – it's almost impossible. And I think for a lot of other voters, maybe yourself included, that is not true. Um, and I, I, That's just not how I am. I mean I, I, I can't help it. Uh, Jordan Grace is somebody who I actually think in terms of talent should probably be higher. Um, I'm very, very high on her. She's somebody that I almost – almost never think has a less than good match regardless of who she's against. Uh, I just feel like she outside of beyond the Nova. I don't know that any place really books her in a way that allows her to do what she does best. Uh, hopefully that will change in 2018. Um, uh, because she's somebody that feel like I look at her at 90 and it feels low, but then I don't know that I would really necessarily have her any higher um, but that's just kind of the nature of, of a list like this.
0: I really hope she shines in that making Towns Classic, uh, Oh, well, up. that
1: goes, that, that, goes without saying. Her, <laughs> first, her first round opponent's, uh, Savannah Stone, by the way. Just, uh, you can, and you can get tickets for that by contacting at MikeHales9 on Twitter. The MT, MT Classic will be May the 12th in Nashville at the Nashville Fairgrounds.
0: <laughs> well, there we go. There we go. Um, so is Amazing Red retired? Now, after the low key match,
1: nobody seems to know. Um, I will. T- I, I mean, there's no reason for me not to say this. I'll go full John Thorne here and just say that uh, I we did try to reach out to him about the Scenic City Invitational for this year. Um, uh, by the way, you can follow the Scenic City Invitational at SCI Tournament on Twitter. <laughs> Tickets are available by direct messaging me on Twitter at Dylan Waco or emailing me at uh, Dylan at gmail dot com. Uh, having said that. Um, we did try and contact him, um, actually a couple of different ways. It didn't really go anywhere. One person we talked to told us that he doesn't take bookings anymore outside of House of Glory. This was before the low key match. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, it seemingly would be true because I don't even know when his last date outside of there would be. I know he worked an AIW show a couple of years back, and he was obviously worked Beyond a few times a couple of years back. But you know, we would have loved to have had him. Uh, didn't work out. Um, he's another guy that I would probably consider booking in the future if he ever wanted to wrestle again, but mm, we'll see. Uh, but but I it, I don't know if he's officially retired or not. It's not clear. Okay.
0: I was curious. I know I wondered. I've heard. So I was just curious. Um, well, all right. I'm, I'm digging the, the carry awful tank one-two punch you got in here. Um, Eddie Kingston, you said he had – no, that was Juice Robinson. Never mind. Eddie Kingston still had a good.
1: Eddie Kingston had a good, had a pretty uh, uh, good match with Juice Robinson over Mania weekend, and he had a match, for, a good match with Tracy Williams over Mania weekend. But last year, he had an excellent match with Tracy Williams at AIW, probably one of the most underrated matches of 2017, actually. Uh, and I thought last year he kind of had a sneaky good Mania weekend too, in the sense that I only saw uh, I only saw him twice, but he had that. Uh, that super fun wild brawl with Matt Tremont at spring break, which got overshadowed on that show, even though it was totally unique. Um, And he also had that savage beating of, uh, of uh, what's his name? Adam Rose, Leo Kruger, where he just (laughs) totally destroyed him at uh, pancakes and pile drivers. That guy's obviously not exactly somebody that, uh, uh, I, I enjoy seeing for a multitude of reasons, but that was one of the all-time brutal ass kickings I've ever witnessed in person. So,
0: well, all right, let's let's move it or lose it. Um, 80 through 71 here. Uh, at 80, Dirty Daddy. 79, Jocka. 78, Chris Dickinson. 77, White Mike. 76, C.W. Anderson. 75, Shern Simmons. 74, Nick Richards. Seventy-three Chip Day, seventy-two Myron Reed, seventy-one Roger Strong. That's uh, that's an interesting route uh, of characters because you got you got two dirty daddies in there. Um, yep. so that's good. Um, and I don't know why I think C. W. Anderson is the father of White Mike, but uh, that's it's just it's believable. It's my kayfabe uh, belief system at work. Um,
1: it's certainly a narrative we can all latch on to, good, I
0: think. Good, good. Let's push that. N- NWL is dead, um, but now CW Anderson <laughs> is White Mike's father. So, got to have something to push.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, this was definitely a wild um, list. I mean, I, I think that really up until you get about to about maybe 50 or the mid-50s on my list, my list is admittedly kind of chaotic. And it might be difficult for people to, to pull out cohesive patterns, but again, I think that is just a reflection of the fact that I watch a lot of different wrestling, particularly a lot of different indie wrestling. Um, I, you know, one other thing I should mention is, they're not going to be a bunch of, uh, of uh, British indie guys on this list. And it's not even so much that I think those guys are bad. In fact, some of them I really like, like, for example, Rampage Brown. Uh, it's just I don't I'm not going to go out of my way to watch Fight Club Pro or Lucha Forever or IP or whatever when I can watch shows here that are cheaper or more affordable that I enjoy just as much. So it's not a knock on any of those promotions, really. Uh, and there are people over there that I think actually had really good years um, from what I saw. But, yeah, um, my my list is, is probably not going to turn up uh, – uh, you you know, a bunch of Chris Bur- Brooks uh, like wrestlers. Um, so um, this is a again, it's a hodgepodge. I, I actually wanted to get Dirty Daddy right next to Chris Dickinson. I admit that, the, uh, uh, but I but I uh, I felt like Jocka had a better year than the CWF Dirty Daddy. There's a there's a lot of CWF guys uh, are C- guys who were at least partially CWF guys. Like for example, chip day really made his case in 2017 off of the Trevor Lee match to me. I wouldn't say that he had nothing else all year. I, I think that's not true, but I really think that that's was kind of his claim for the year. Uh, whereas I felt he had a stronger sort of variety in 2016. Um, you know, also I was going to almost every AW, AW show for a while in 2016. We certainly didn't hurt him. Uh, but, uh, Nick Richards, C.W. Anderson, Chip Day, White Mike, Dirty Daddy—all those people are CWF or CWF um, adjacent, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, Dickinson and Jaka—I love them as a team. Sometimes, sometimes I don't always get them as singles. Um, they're, but they're one of those weird teams where – and I don't—I wonder if you feel this way, Sam. They're one of those weird teams where I never think, oh, that's one of my favorite teams. And I never even necessarily think, oh, I really want to see them wrestle Team X or whatever. And then I see a match with them in it, and I'm like, oh, that was really good. I mean, like that happened a bunch of times last year, um, whether it was the big EYFBO blowoff at the Beyond Show at the end of the year or the match uh, with the South Pacific uh, Power Trip. Uh, Mania Weekend, uh, like there was a bunch of different times last year where that happened, and I'd be like, oh, oh, yeah, uh, you know, and I don't know. So Maybe I actually pro- should have had Jaka above Dickinson because he had the Zack Sabre Jr. matches, but eh, eh, I'm not as high on Zack Sabre as other people, which we'll get to. And uh, White Mike is probably, I think, the person in this grouping that some people might look at with their eyes big, but I watched a lot of Gymnasty Boys last year, and, uh, I think that's actually an, a, uh, capital A, actually capital G, uh, good team. Uh, and I really, uh, he's one of the few guys who does the banter gimmick that I actually think it's good and enhances his matches. So, um, there you
0: go. Why make is the king of banter. Uh, it's an impressive feat. I uh, watched him at, in a garage, uh, during WrestleMania weekend and he was a tremendous individual, uh, in his, in his match. Uh-huh. Um, so when I look at this, uh, I just want to say also on Chris Dickinson and Jocka, I agree. Um, and it's one of the few teams, wrestlers, whatever, uh, that, like you said, it's not until they actually get in the match. Usually it happens where I forget about it. And then, oh, I see a match on paper. I'm like, oh, that'll be good. Um, but I never like that with them. I'm like, okay, let's see how it goes. And then it tends to be real good. So, um, that's always nice. Uh, you got a lot of CWF Mid Atlantic guys in here. Myron Reed. Uh, I really like, and I hope he has a tremendous 2018. Um, if you've not seen the Trey McGall match from AAW's chaos theory, I highly recommend it. Um, so I think we have one of our first guys here that is actually on the, we don't notice like 100 would proper. Um, and that's Roderick Strong. Um, who's at number 40 on the actual list? Um,
1: that's awfully high. And, I mean, I, I, I had him at 71, and that's and, and some people might say, eh, 30 in a list like this really isn't that big of a gap, and I guess that's fair. And Roddy is one of those guys who I think, talent-wise, as he's demonstrated so far in 2018, probably is, like, you know, a top 20 guy. But I just don't know if there's enough meat on the bone to justify a, a 40 placement. Uh, but But then again, as we'll talk about when we talk about some of the bigger results... The WWE guys were always going to have an advantage, and I don't – I think ultimately I've settled on the on the fact that I really don't have much of a problem with that for reasons that we can explain later.
0: <laughs> yeah, I – every – yes, we can talk about later, but um, agreed. Um, but yeah, I still think – I used Kanto Miara at 45 as kind of a sign factor of if you're above him, um, you're really considered one of the top, top guys. Uh, of the prior year, or you should be. Um, so it was interesting to see some guys, uh, like strong, make it past that threshold in my book. Um, but all right, let's move on. 70 through 61 here. Uh, 70, ACH, 69, Bad Bones, 68, Big E, 67, Kassi now 66, uh, Kassiuri Shibata, 65, Gangrel, 64, Tom Lawler, 63, Low Key, 62, Occam, 61, Razor, uh, 60, Never mind. We're not going to 60. I was going too fast. I was going too fast. To stop myself. Gangrel, 65. That's a solid pick there. That's a solid pick. Um,
1: yeah. Listen. I mean, listen. Gangrel is still really good. Like, I, I recognize that a lot of people will look at this and and their eyes will go to that and go, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. Um. In terms of your veteran guys with former WWE or WCW or ECW name recognition who are still regularly working on the indies, I'm not sure there's anybody who is as guaranteed a good match as him. Like there are guys who I think are still spectacular to watch in their own way, are exciting and are and are very likely to give you a good match and probably are more likely to give you an like a lasting moment. PCO would be an example of that. Scorpio would be an example of that. I think to a degree, people like Ming or Bob Holly would be examples of that. But in terms of somebody who I think is most likely to give you an actually good or better match, I I, I honestly think Gangrel is the pick. I mean, he had some sneaky good matches last year. He had a match with Willie Mack from Bar Wrestling that was very good. Uh, he had a match, John Schuyler's thousandth match from OSCW, which is available for free on YouTube, actually from two different angles, one pro shot and one not. Uh, that was, uh, like, excellent, honestly. Like, I'm not a star rating guy at all, but, you know, like, four, probably four and a quarter for me, maybe more. Like, I thought it was that good. Um, uh, not quite match of the year level, uh, but not, like, way, like, absurdly far off either. Um he had good matches versus people like Andrew Duckworth and others like scattered all out the Indies who are maybe not so well known. Um, he just like it's he's st- he's st- has like really good offense. He's one of the few guys from that era that still bumps really well. Um, Sam, I know you know this because you'll watch some of these matches sometimes. This this is a guy who does like a flat back bump on the floor as a stock bump in virtually all of his matches.
0: <laughs> Gangrel is just so good. Uh, who would think the second best member of the brew behind Christian uh, would still would be the only active one? Would be the only active one.
1: Wow, it is it is actually mind blowing. The Vampire Warrior, after uh, years of making pornography and and um, you know being married to Luna Vachon, is the the active one in the group. That seems unlikely, but uh, yeah. En- en- enough about Gangrel. This is kind of another list. Like, if you look at this list, I think another thing you'll pull out of this is, this is another one where it's like, there's a few guys in here who maybe weren't active or did not have a ton of matches, but they had, like, some really memorable matches. Like, Shibata, obviously, was not active for very long, but he had, like, to me, the Okada match is so great, even though it's also so terrible at time for obvious reasons that if you don't I, say it's romantic,
0: I, I'm not even sure why you're bothering uh, bringing it up.
1: <laughs> I couldn't bring myself not, <laughs> I couldn't bring myself not to rate this, uh, uh, the, uh, the Mary Shelley of pro wrestling this so highly, like I could, I, I, I couldn't bring myself not to have him like fairly high. Um, uh, low key. It's like, you know, I really enjoyed him in the WHW Tag League when he actually had an injury. I really, I really enjoyed him uh, in the Sammy Callahan match from AAW. Like he's a guy that I always enjoy watching when he shows up. Um, but he, there's just not there was just not enough for me to have him much higher than this. Uh, AOP. I realize I probably had higher than certain people did, but I think they t- kind of. Emerge as a legitimately great tag team this year. And you'll notice that there's actually a lot of complete tag teams on my list. I would be willing to bet that I probably have more complete tag teams on my list than the vast majority of voters. Um, Lawler's a guy that I think, I think for some people Lawler, it, it. I think the way people talk about Lawler versus the way people talk about somebody I had much higher is very interesting. And maybe we could talk about that when we get to him. Um but like but, how high? Are we talking like, like, like the no, highest? Like perhaps the highest. <laughs> okay. And and uh and and uh, yeah. There's an interesting relationship there where I think people allow for certain behaviors in one that they don't in others. And I I I think it's perhaps a a a exercise in some sort of weird like postmodern deconstructionism uh like Foucault inspired analysis that had where people have worked themselves into a shoot but I don't but I don't I, I don't know that I it's hard to say um I actually do listen to these people's arguments and I am sympathetic to them in some ways but then I see how they seem to only apply them to one wrestler and it it's it's very odd um but we'll get to that later. Um, you know, uh, Big E is somebody who finished much higher in the overall results. We could talk about that. Bad Bones, um, I think, was a guy who at his best moments was outstanding and at his worst moments was actually bad. So I didn't know exactly where to put him. And ACH was I, – I, honestly, ACH is the guy who benefited the most from my last second watching because he went from being completely off my list to being a guy that I actually thought about putting in the top 50 – um, ultimately I put him at 70 because I was trying to guard against recency bias. Uh, I had watched his, his, um, uh, matches with Rex Andrews right before that, where, which were both really good. Um, one from reality of wrestling, the other from inspire pro, which was like excellent, like, like a four and a half star, better match. Um, I'd also watched the Terrell tempo match from inspire pro right before, which Terrell tempo is a guy I'm not even that high on. And I thought the match was really good. So you know, and I watched uh, a couple of the late-in-the-year AAW matches that I thought were, like, great matches. So he he really made a run uh, and definitely benefited probably more than anybody from the last-second viewing.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so biggest thing we got right here is uh, what I want to mention about Big E, about you're saying you have most full tag teams of maybe any uh... – voter i i can't confirm that i i won't confirm that cause i don't have the time for that um but i think that was kind of a running theme on uh, whether you were a wwe specific voter or whether you uh, were more spread out um it was a pretty good year for tag team wrestling across the board uh and that i think that showed kind of on ballots where um almost log jams would form where you kind of had to have two or three of your spots um, or even four spots to make up for a feud um, dedicated to uh, tag team wrestling. Um, so that was interesting. Um, interesting to see Shabbat and Ono so close together just because they finished so close together. in the actual uh, tally here with Shabbat at 49, uh, Ono at 44. Um, so a decent chunk higher than you had them, but um, I think both benefit from reputation uh as well as having actually strong resumes so gangrel not making the top 100 and is really uh a sad fact but uh that's what we deal with on a daily basis
1: well all right okay low-key i was at it's number called, it's called the tragedy of democracy there
0: we go low-key was at 99 um in the actual thing uh so that was that's a very interesting group uh of 10 there um all right let's move on to 60 through 51 60 pentagon jr 59 jason jordan 58 john cena 57 Kyle o'reilly 56 chet sterling 55 anthony henry 54 james drake 53 john schuyler 52 Joey lynch 51 wotan uh so once again another tag team back to back with james drake and anthony henry um And the surprise for me so far would probably be Pentagon Jr. at 60. Uh, So what did you do this year that kind of justified that placement for you?
1: I really liked the Lucha Brothers tag team, honestly. Um, I thought they were very good every single time I saw them, uh, which was several times throughout the course of the year. I think one of the most underrated matches in all of 2017 was the Besties in the World versus uh, the Lucha Brothers uh, at... uh, uh the i believe it was the october show for glory pro um, there might be a reason why that match got kind of lost now that i think about it but that that was that that was like a sh- like to me for the pwg style matches uh, you know and you know what i mean by that i think most listeners will know what i mean by like by that i actually thought that was one of the best pwg style matches of the entire year and um it just didn't get talked about at all um uh it was a rare case of a regional dream match uh, not that the besties are purely regional but i think that they're certainly at their peak as stars in that st louis market and it was a rare case of a like a, a regional dream match that actually 100 percent delivers in the ring lots of times those don't they they're good but they don't hit the level that you ideally want and i thought that one absolutely did um In singles matches, I thought Penna was fine. You know, I liked the Matt Tremont match from WrestleMania weekend, for example, a a good bit. I'm not one of these people who thought it was like a match of the year, but I did think it was legitimately good and had a special feeling to it, even on tape, that a lot of maybe technically better matches lacked. Um, I do think he's a guy that still has an aura to him, you know, and we'll talk about this later with some guys. Now, I, I think certainly you could argue that's been bastardized by overexposure and by too many promotions booking him. And I think there's some truth to it, but he's still a real star and you still feel that presence when you see him wrestle particularly live. Um, maybe did I maybe have him a little bit high? Eh, maybe like I, I, to me he was probably going to always fall, fall somewhere outside of the 50, but above 75, you know, somewhere in that block. And I'm fine with him at, at 60. Um, the rest of this list, like, <laughs> I actually at one point had Jason Jordan above Cena, and I flipped that around. I, th- You know, the people who had Cena really high on their ballots last year, I don't really get it. Uh, I thought he had a good year, but it wasn't one of these things where he had the volume or the tremendously high highs multiple times to, to merit – a super high ranking, and that's coming from one of the biggest Cena fanboys on earth. Um, Kyle O'Reilly probably seems too high for some people, but I think he's one of these guys that had a lot. Like he, like if I were to take the best, maybe I don't know, handful of Kyle O'Reilly, maybe th- the top three or four or five Kyle O'Reilly matches that I saw on the indie scene, and put them up against other people, I think it would be kind, it would be shocking how well. They they stood up uh, like I loved his El Fantasma match that started off the year um, after he left Ring of Honor uh, from e- for ECCW which I thought was incredible had an outstanding atmosphere thought it was a great match I loved the Fred High match from Evolve um, didn't have the best crowd but I thought it was outstanding I loved the Kurt Stallion match from Glory Pro so he kind of quietly had a a better resume than I, I like I like the Riddle match from Evolve a lot. He he quietly had a better resume on the indies than I think people realize. Um, Just because, you know, the story for him last year, I think, was that he got signed more so than what he did on the indies. Um, This next group, like 56 to 51, is the most tragic grouping on my entire list because they're all people who I really wanted to put in the top 50. (laughs) And I, at various points, was, was, you know, trying to negotiate strategies to bump people down. And I just never could get to a point like it. They all feel like they had top 50 years to me all the way through Chet Sterling. But, and that to me is the real line of demarcation on my list. Like Chet Sterling, maybe even Kyle O'Reilly, everything South of those guys, I think is in a, is definitively in a different tier than the people that are North of those guys. Um, I thought Wotan was the best Lucha guy in terms of, having like these wild fun blood-soaked brawls kind of in the tradition of you know 2009 2010 black terry and iwrg carrying that out the the true scuzzy indie feeling of violent lucha libre um i just wish that meant more of them were complete and that we had a bigger profile from him because he's somebody i wanted to rank higher and maybe could have put him a few spots higher but i i just ultimately i, I felt like i couldn't justify it um but that that grouping of Southern Indy guys from Sterling, Henry, Drake, Skyler, and Lynch, it was brutal leaving them out of the top fifty for me. Like all of those guys, I really wanted to rank high. Like Joey Lynch, I think had a very quietly had a great wrestling year. Um, he he looked great at the Scenic City uh, Invitational. Uh, he he did great in the I thought I felt in the Powerbomb uh, Tournament. Um, he was great every time I saw him uh, in every setting. His match from, with Kane Justice at the end of the year in CWF I thought was excellent. Uh, even his match in, for with you know with Caleb Conley I thought was really good. So he had a lot of stuff throughout the course of the year, but there's just so, there was just a lot of wrestlers like really good wrestlers that were sort of in the same tier as him. Um, it was it was a, it was this was tough. This was the tough probably honestly the toughest part of my entire ballot.
0: Yeah, I'm really surprised that Joey Lynch didn't make your top 50. Um, just as he seems like such a Dylan guy. Um, John Cena obviously places at 37 in the We Don't know Wrestling 100, um, which is over 20 spots higher. Um, seems like an odd placement given everything I've seen as far as resumes go. Um, probably shouldn't have been that high. Um, like you said about Kyle, uh, he does have an indie tour. They don't know if. I think the people that voted for him um, took that into account. The people that didn't, um, didn't. Uh, but yeah, if you like his style, which is this kind of the silliest thing ever, argument ever for a wrestler, but if you like his style, um, you really couldn't ask much for much more of uh, that tour. Um, he was going against some of the best in the world uh, plying that touring match. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. Uh, being you're a, a southern indie guy, uh, to take those that group, uh, group of four or five, there, uh, not allowing that, being able to put them any higher, uh, that's a bit of a squeeze. Um.
1: It was, it was really, like honestly, it was, it was probably uh, illustrative of um, how absurd I am for taking any of this, any even mildly seriously, but uh, it, it, it was way like. Legitimately a little bit stressful for me to leave them out of the top <laughs> fifty. Because I did I, I honestly thought all of them had top fifty years. Like if you were to ask me, was uh Anthony Henry one of the fifty best wrestlers in two thousand seventeen? I would say, Yeah, of course. But then but then when I started breaking it down, I felt less confident of that. And, you know, that's not a knock on him. It's just a testament to how many great wrestlers there were last year.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Well, all right, let's move on to 50 through 41 here. 50, Jeff Cobb. 49, Xavier Woods. 48, Gladiator Jeremiah. 47, Billy Buck. uh, 46, Andre Almas. uh, 45, Kyle Matthews. 44, Ray Phoenix. 43, Corey Hollis. 42, Tyler Bate. And 41, Sheamus. So, yeah. Half tag team, you got some uh, anarchy guys, which is uh, probably the biggest story out of this group with uh, Kyle Buck and Jeremiah um, and Mister Two and a Quarter Stars himself, Jeff Cobb. Uh, so, may you explain uh, a little bit more uh, on this crop of wrestlers you had uh, between fifty and forty-one.
1: Yeah, I'm not one of these guys like uh, Timothy from, uh, of, uh, you know, Lucha Undead, and uh, this week in indie wrestling, who thinks Jeff Cobb's like the best wrestler in the world, but. I'm also not one of these guys who thinks he's, you know, just okay. Like, to me, he's probably the wrestler of the last five years who's benefited the most from me seeing him live. Because before I saw him live, and this is coming from somebody, as you well know, Sam, who was probably one of the original pimps of Jeff Cobb on the (laughs) internet. I I very much (laughs) doubt that there were that there were two that there were people uh, before me in large numbers that were touting this guy. So I was definitely early on the train as him being a guy that was worth pursuing and worth seeking out. But I also it defi- like when, after I saw him in person, I was like this guy is w- way more impressive than he gets credit for. Because you visually see the strength spots and it it like and you realize what is actually going on in a way that cannot possibly be communicated via tape. And I just think it's, it's it hits you on a different level, you know. Um, is he a guy with like a wide variety of match of the year level matches from last year? No, but I also think that I if you asked me to think of a bad Jeff Cobb match from 2017, and I saw a lot, I don't think I could name one. Um, I don't think I could name one that I thought was below like the three star good match threshold, and uh, that to me goes a long way when you watch the volume of wrestling that I watch. If I know that seeing you wrestle, I'm not going to see a bad match. That's a, that's a big positive in your favor. Uh, because it means I'm not going to sit, have to sit through something I don't enjoy, uh, at least on some level. And, uh, I thought he had some really good matches last year too. I mean, the the Riddle match Super Strong Style probably would be the top of the list, but, um, He had some other really good stuff. I thought the Chosen Bros tag team was really good um, to take kind of a, maybe an obvious example. Um, But, yeah, I I think Cobb had a a really good year, actually. Um, Above that, I mean, to me, Xavier Woods, in some ways, was one of the breakout guys of the year because in all those New Day tags, anytime he was in the match, he was the guy that kind of stole the show. Uh, And... That's saying something, because I think for years he was a guy who had a rep as being the non-worker. And I think he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt in 2017 that that's totally bogus. Um, The Anarchy Guys is definitely the theme here with uh, uh, Gaudier Jeremiah, Billy Buck, and Kyle Matthews. All of them sort of had a, a workhorse ace role in promotion. Obviously Gunnar Miller was on top. Uh, for most of the year but all of these guys were kind of the the guys that were asked to go out and have these good sometimes very lengthy matches that carried the episodic shows and i think all of them delivered at a very high level kyle matthew's run last year i think is pro is is actually super underrated uh the matches with uh uh, Slim Jay and Billy Buck. Uh, he had a couple matches with Billy Buck. Both were great. The one at the end of the year in December was actually an excellent match. Um, uh, he had a great match with Anthony Henry. I believe it was at last year's Hardcore Hell that was excellent on that show. Um, he had... Uh, and then, and then it was, Like most of his great stuff was in Anarchy, but I really liked the tank match from G- uh, GPW. I thought that was a great match. Um, he had some other good matches around the Southern Indie loop, so... Kyle to me, you know, great wrestler retiring at this year's Sydney City Invitational, which kind of breaks my heart. Um, but you know, uh, it's it's it, to me it, it it is, and not just because it's a show I co-promote and co-book, but I do think it's the perfect place to give him uh, a big send-off in front of an audience that is most familiar with um, how important and, and uh, uh, good he's been. Uh, you know, as a sort of a stalwart and the guaranteed good match guy for the last decade, if not longer, uh, in the Southern independent scene. Um, almost as a guy who's going to be even higher this year, I think that's obvious. Ray Phoenix, great wrestler. Basically everything I said, to Pentagon applies to him, but he's more spectacular. And I think has some better singles matches. Uh, Corey Hollis, I think is an excellent heel, guy who had some another one of these guys who probably had some sneaky good stuff that i don't think people realize how good it was um you're talking
0: specifically about the david Starr match from pwx correct
1: uh that's that (laughs) that is in fact one of the matches i'm talking about yes like i think you're crazy to have it as high as you have but it is in fact a like one of those matches that is quite good that almost no one talks about um you know and he had like he had a match with Slim J that is our Gladiator Jeremiah, that is also quite was quite good that no one talked about he had a match with uh, Kyle Matthews that was quite good that no one talked about even when he showed up on that random 205 live and had the competitive squash versus Cedric it was like the best one of those they've done on that show so Corey is a very 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 good pro wrestler um Tyler Bate he finished much higher, I think, in the overall results. I don't really get why. Um, I think he had some really high highs, and uh, he's clearly an extremely good talent for his age, but I don't really understand why he finished as high as he did. Where did he finish, Sam? Tyler Bate finished at number 14. Yeah, I don't get it. I, I really don't. like, And that's it's not, it's not a knock on him because – to me to be his age and to be the forty second best wrestler in the world is is why is like crazy impressive in its own right. Um but and I get and I love the done matches and I thought his run in the tournament was good. And he, and he had some other good matches over the course of the year, but I I don't know. Like I I like
0: Tyler Bate will at one point eventually be at least the fourteenth best wrestler in the world. Just maybe not in 2017.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's actually a good point. Like, I think he certainly, I, actually, I'll even go so far as to say this. I think Tyler Bate at his absolute peak, in terms of the breadth of his ability, might be maybe one of the 20 best wrestlers in the world. Maybe, um, but I don't think he has match to match. Like, if, if I there I could, I'm positive that I could find a lot of underwhelming Tyler Bate matches. And to me, from last year, and to me, if you're at that level, you can't, you almost can't have anything that was underwhelming, if that makes sense. Like once you get into the top 20, you basically have to be somebody where it was greatest hits all year, maybe with one or two small outliers. And I don't feel that way about him. Um, Not that he's not a great wrestler. Um, You know, uh, I like, he's one of these weird guys where mechanically, I think he can be absolutely amazing. And I love the versatility of his offense. And I think him and Dunn is like an all-timer. And actually, if you look at my ballot, there's a lot of like sort of uh, – there's a lot of matches that are represented too, touring matches, if you will. That, that, that's another theme I think of my ballot where both sides of a touring match shows up a lot this year. And I think Dunn and Bate is a good example of a great one that we saw a lot in 2017 uh, and that to me never really got stale. Uh, but the flip side of bait for me, and, and one of the reasons why I had him quite a bit lower than the overall result is I think for a guy as talented as he is, he has the absolute worst facial expressions in pro wrestling. Like to me, he just doesn't have the emotive quality that I ideally like. So, um, on the one hand, I think that makes him a great big room wrestler in the sense that you, if you're not like in the front row at progress, you're not going to necessarily notice that. Um, on the other hand, but on the other hand, I'm not sure that I think he's a great small room wrestler. And, you know, obviously if you, when it comes to your paycheck, you'd rather be the better big room wrestler, but, uh, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if I'm the only person who feels that way about him. Let's,
0: we'll ask Quen. We'll ask Tim, uh, see what the, the judges say. Um, but all right, uh, I do want to note on Kyle Matthews, um, it's the biggest reason I really want to go to SCI this year. Um, two years ago when I went to the Senior City Invitational, saw him uh, versus Chris Hero. Uh, it was a real special moment. Uh, as I've watched Kyle on YouTube for years, um, and to see his ability alive in a person is just a different beast altogether. Like you were saying with Jeff Cobb, um, the fluidity that that guy moves um, is something else. Everyone talks about... How they love all these fluid wrestlers. Um, never seen anyone like Kyle. So he's
1: such a he's such a smart wrestler. I mean, like the the thing about Kyle Matthews is, and I'm I'm gonna gush over him for a little bit is he he's not. I mean, he's not one of these guys who I don't. I think he would admit this himself. He's not super charismatic, right? He just isn't. <laughs> But but and that's probably at least part of the reason why he never really got past that entry level opportunity at bigger pr- promotions. Um, but but there are vi- I mean you he's if I have a choice tr- like if I'm booking a show and I know that you can put Kyle Matthews against anybody and have a good match literally anyone i could take a guy who's completely untrained and put him in the ring and i think kyle could give you a three-star match with him put fly guy out there yeah (laughs) and i don't i don't think you can say that for very many wrestlers even guys who maybe are better than him in some ways um and he's also like you said he's won the best you know, technical wrestler in Georgia award from the Georgia wrestling history award, something like eight or nine times. I personally think they should name the award after him when he retires. Um, The, I think the only guys one year, he split it with Fred Yehai, and one year, Jimmy Rave beat him. And I think that's like the only guys other than him that have ever won it in the history of the award. But, and there's a lot of wrestling that goes on in Georgia and a lot of people that vote on those awards. Uh, But I don't think people realize how good of a technical wrestler, like a, a grappler he is because it's not this sort of modern iteration of quasi-shoot style that so many people think of when they think of that kind of wrestling, it's more of a throwback. Like I would I would consider what Kyle Matthews does to be like the the modern version of like late 70s, early eighties, New Japan junior heavyweight sort of grappling. And that's a style that not very many people do anymore. And a style that I actually think is oh it's a lost art and i don't think there's a lot of people that can do it very well anymore and um i i cannot talk enough about that dude he is he's a great wrestler
0: absolutely and there we go that's 50 through 41 let's move it or lose it 40 through 31 40 lance lewd 39 rob killjoy 38 ace romero 37, Oni Lorcan, 36, Dominic Greeny. 35, Zach Saber Jr., 34, Jimmy Uso, 33, Jay Uso, 32, Joey Janela, 31, The Miz, and there you go. Uh, Again, we have two more tag teams off the board. You kind of gave Oni the shaft here at 37, it looks like, based on the overall results. Um, Dominic, real high, Zach, lower than a lot of people. So talk me through this segment here
1: yeah um, what's funny is that I thought I would have Oni pretty high. <laughs> like I was like when I turned in my ballot I like originally I actually had Oni as high as 30 uh, and at one point I had him as low as 40 so he kinda, I kind of ended up sort of splitting the difference um, I what hurts Oni is also what makes him who he is. like on the one hand there's there was really nobody like him in 2017. Just this, you know, totally insane, almost almost I like entirely defined as a sprint wrestler, right? Like I mean that's virtually all he did all year. Um on TV. Uh and just going out like full speed ahead, smash mouth wrestling, regardless of opponent, regardless of setting, regardless of placement on card, regardless how much time he got, that's what you got. And it produced some real bangers, most notably the Drew McIntyre match, which I think Virtually everybody agrees was great. It, it, there's, you can debate how great it was, but I think virtually everybody agrees that it was a great, great match, for, especially for the amount of time that it got. Um, on the other hand, when I started breaking this down, I was like, can I really justify putting Oni Lorcan ahead of guys – who maybe in one or two matches, had more total ring time that made tape than he did for the entire year <laughs> and it it I just couldn't do it like i I, I couldn't do it and and some people might say that oh, doesn't matter, I think it does matter because I actually think there's an inherent like some people you know people will say well oh, he's disadvantaged by the booking I think in some ways he's advantaged by the booking because he doesn't have the opportunity to to screw up or have a match that's outside of what he does well. It's not like they asked him to go 20 minutes one week. Um, not that he couldn't do that. I mean, I was a huge Biff, ba- Biff fan on the Indies. I wish they would give him 20 minutes. And I've se- seen him have house show matches uh, back in 2016 that were well over 10 minutes. But I, to me, there's again, there's a natural cap on something like that, especially in a year that had as many guys who I thought had good years. If this was another year where I didn't think there were a lot of good wrestling, maybe he could have inched closer to, say, 25. But in a year with as much good wrestling, eh, I I don't know. Um, You know, you got two full tag teams in this group with the Ugly Ducklings and the Usos. I thought the Ugly Ducklings were great all year. I thought they were great everywhere they went, whether it was random YouTube matches, uh, CWF, um, uh, PWX, uh, SCI trios tournament. I mean, to me, it really didn't matter where they were. I thought you 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 know what you're going to get with them. Like, it's almost impossible for them not to have a good match. Uh, Lance Lude, I think, is the more fluid high spot guy. And in and, and, and some ways, it, I would say probably the crazier bumper. Killjoy, I put above him because Killjoy wrestles more singles matches. And if you look on YouTube, you'll find quite a few of them. And they are almost never less than good. Uh, I, I tend to think these guys are two of the most underrated guys in all of indie wrestling. Ace Romero right below Lorkin, because or because in my mind, he was the second best sprint wrestler in 2017 after Oni. Um, Usos were obviously great. They finished way higher. I, I, I don't think they had enough meat to merit finishing much higher than I had them, but I get it because that New Day feud was such a huge part of wrestling for a lot of people, uh, particularly on a shit SmackDown brand for a big chunk of the year. Um, Greeny, I love. I admit that there's some bias there because, you know, he's a guy that was in the SCI tournament. He was a guy that I see all the time at Southern Underground. But I also think he's a guy that had a lot of sneakily really good matches all year. The Tom Lawler match from AIW was absolutely great. If nobody, if you haven't seen it, you should. That match was, like, a legitimately great match. Uh, I thought his run at Mania weekend working in a shed was actually shockingly good uh matches with gary jay martin stone and kurt stallion were all really good i thought all of his performances in southern underground were good uh or better um yeah i i, I just think dom had a very good year uh janela some is a tough one janela is a tough guy to rank he's going to be even tougher to rank this year i think uh, because from a perspective of what defines the year and who you want to see and who and like who catches your eye as a performer, I feel like he should be higher. And he has a lot of really good matches, um, and including some that I think emerged late, including one with Zack Sabre Jr., which is where Janela basically wrestles Zack the way you would expect a Zack match to go, and it's actually quite good, um, which you maybe wouldn't expect coming in, but. You know, and I I, I love the Jimmy Havoc match from Progress. I thought him, he and Darby killed it at the SCI. Um, I thought he had a really good Mania weekend last year in terms of just fun breakout matches. But I just couldn't squeeze him into the top thirty. Um, in part, it was because there were some lesser known guys that I thought were more deserving of sort of a highlight than a guy who was already going to get that 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 highlight from a lot of other voters uh and i freely concede that but also i just think he's a weird guy to rate like in in terms of who's going to put on something really compelling and entertaining and bizarre and outside of the box he's like in the top five um sometimes it hits sometimes it misses i think he would freely acknowledge that I enjoy the fact and, and the degree to which he's a risk taker. I think that wrestling needs more guys like him. Not necessarily in terms of crazy bumps because I don't want people paralyzed, but in terms of being able to do things that are wildly outside of the box um and, and fun in different ways. You know, he gets comp- he gets compared to a lot of different people. You see him get compared to Sabu. I actually think the best comparison for jo- Joey Janela is Kota Ibushi. Um He's the guy in the States that is the guy wrestling a doll or wrestling, you know, like, I mean, that's, that's, but then who can turn around and have like a legitimately great high profile match against another great wrestler and remind you and you'd be like, Oh yeah, this guy's actually great. And I don't know what to do with guys like that. It's all to me. Those guys are always the toughest guys to rank. Um, the Miz, I think at 31 is a perfect placement for him. I, I could have bumped him up maybe a few spots, but to me, he was in that 25 to 35 range, did not have enough volume of great matches to, to be in the absolute top tier for me. As an overall act, maybe the best guy in pro wrestling, though. So and so, so and he's one of those guys where his act is really a cohesive part of his wrestling. So I think you kind of have to reward it. Sabre. I mean, look. Where are you on Sabre, Sam? I'm, I'm going to pitch this to you, and then, and then I'll, I'll give my thoughts.
0: Uh, Sabre is a very good professional wrestler. I just don't know if I've ever gotten like hooked by him uh, the same way uh, some other guys have, where they've built a narrative that I just don't see. It's um, like they're re- reading from a different textbook, almost. Um, and yet, I do find a lot of his matches to be well put together, uh, and at times he really can hook me, uh, such as the Timothy Thatcher match. But that th- those moments are kind of few and far between. I view more as a strong three, three and a half star guy, just kind of pumping out good stuff that is digestible. Uh, has some little twists and turns in there, um, but rarely something that uh makes knocks me on my ass.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty similar to that. Like, I think he's a great volume candidate, right? And from a perspective of volume, you could argue that I have them too low, and and, and maybe that's fair. Maybe I could have them eh, if I look at my list. Maybe I could have had them as high as thirty, maybe twenty-eight. But I don't, I don't really think there's any way I could have had them much higher than that. Like when I when I actually look at my list, do I think there's any way that I could have mentally justified myself, as Zach Saber Junior. in the top twenty-five? No, I don't. Um, In terms of raw talent, is he one of the 25 best wrestlers in the world? I mean, to me, that's almost a dumb question because I think it's self-evident that he is. Um, But he's one of these guys where, again, he doesn't really have bad matches. But what he does do is he commits, to me, the cardinal sin in pro wrestling a lot of times and I recognize that there's a lot of people who don't feel this way, so I, I want to make clear that I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking as a promoter. I'm not speaking as a booker. I'm not speaking as anybody other than me as a fan. Uh, but he commits one of the cardinal sins to me, which is matches being long for the purpose of being long. Um, it's it, there's it's very common for me to watch a Zack Sabre Jr. match where I feel like the first third of the match is entirely disposable. Um,
0: So essentially, he was built to be a New Japan Pro wrestler.
1: Well, you you could say that, yes. Um, Now, now, what's funny is, I've actually been really high on him this year, and you could argue in some ways that this year that has actually been a more pervasive trope in his matches than last year, but I feel like maybe the different setting and the way he carries himself now is finally starting to affect me the way maybe it's affected other people sooner. I don't know. Um, I do agree that he's personal like one other criticism I have of him as after the thing where Hero sort of passed the baton to him at Royal Rumble weekend last year, uh, in San Antonio, it became this deal where I feel like Saber, like the big theme was, can you have Killer Instinct? That was like what Hero was pushing from a storyline narrative. And I think they really presented that through Evolve and other places where you'd get dick, cocky prick, Zack Sabre Jr. who would toy with people and whatever. And on the one hand, I do think it enhanced his matches uh, a lot of the times. Um, On the other hand, it felt like cosplaying Chris Hero to me at times. And I just don't think that a guy... I don't like I don't think a guy with Sabre's look can cosplay as Chris Hero and be credible. I just don't. Like it, it, to me it would be like if you were pre- trying to present Johnny Gargano as like uh, a uh, a monster heel or something. Like even if he was wrestling in a promotion of minis, I still don't think I could buy Johnny Gargano as a monster heel. Uh, it, it, it's there's a there's like a cognitive disconnect with me. Uh, on the one hand, I do like cocky Zack and I like like the sort of torturous way in which he manipulates people and stuff. On the other hand, it just feels like it's too much aping the hero formula uh, at times, and um, I don't know. I I hate being this harsh on the guy because I thought he was the 35th best wrestler in the world, and I do think he's a great wrestler, and I, I get, especially for people who are super into the technique, why they would rate him higher, but... I just have never quite gotten over the hump with him as a character. I, like ever I I several times I've gotten close uh but I can never quite get over the hump entirely. And uh I don't know, we'll see. This this year he would probably be in my top 10 right now, you know. So I even as I say that, it feels like it's a weird thing to say because it feels like I'm arguing against myself and where I stand in 2018. But in in 2017 He's also, you know, what the other thing is too, Sam. He's a guy where every year I think about it and I go, "Huh, yeah, he had a good year." And then I have to go back, and I, then I have to go back to cage match to remember the matches. I don't remember any of them off the top of my head ever. And then I'll like go through the checklist and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, that was real good. Oh, that was a great match. That was real good. That was real good." And there's something that bothers me. Like, I it's difficult for me, in the way I think about these ballots. It's difficult for me to have a guy like that, even if he had more good matches than anybody in the world. I'm not sure that he did. He probably was in the top 10. But even if he had, even if on pure volume alone, he ranked in the top 10 or even top five of anybody on the planet last year. It's difficult for me to have a guy like that, that high, if I can't really remember any of the matches. I mean, the only two matches off the top of my head that I could recall blindly uh, for Sabre Jr., when I went to put my ballot together were the Thatcher match where he won the title, which was a great match. And the hero match, um, that was hero's last match on the indies, which was really good. But I think maybe a hair underwhelming, if anything. So it, I don't know. It's, it's always like that with him every year. And, um, I feel guilty saying it because he seems like a cool guy and he is a great wrestler, but it's just not quite where I, in my head want him to be.
0: No, that's totally understandable. Uh, I think for me it is personally easier to kind of rank guys when matches stick out and not just stick out, but kind of create the arc of their year within my head, being able to kind of form that narrative of their years with the matches that I can remember. Um, where that be Dom, who I also had fairly high, um, having that great match in that garage against Martin Stone, having another real good match with Cursed Stallion, uh, having two real strong first-round matches, Uh, in two different under-the-radar sort of tournaments uh, last year against Eric Royal uh, and Dale Patrick. Um, So you want to be able to kind of tie these things together. Um, AC Baby at 38, though, I feel like I should shout that boy out because he's a big man and he's doing good things. Um, Bless his heart. Bless his heart. Um, But cool. There we go. That's uh, 31 through 40. We're going to move on to... Thirty to twenty-one. At thirty, uh, rest in peace, Thor Thurot. uh Twenty-nine, Gary J. Twenty-eight, Logan Easton Larue. Twenty-seven, Darby Allen. Twenty-six, D J Z. Twenty-five, Rex Andrews. Twenty-four, Ilya Dragunov. Twenty-three, Kane Justice. Twenty-two, Jonathan Gresham. Twenty-one, Jeremy Wyatt.
1: Yeah, this was. Uh, another one, I mean, I guess you could say when you're talking about this, everything could be perceived as being interesting depending on who you are. Um, I th- This would be, if I had to define this or talk about this as like a group, I would say this would be the regional star dump. Right? Where you've got a bunch of guys who were stars in maybe one region or maybe at one or two promotions and really good and they were promotions that I followed really closely or watched a lot of and it just, it I couldn't justify having them in the top 20, um, but it felt wrong to have them any lower because I thought they legitimately had more cohesive, to kind of steal your talking point, um, years where I could sort of follow the thread and I could point to the entire narrative and I could look at the whole arc and go, yep, that great match led to this great match, which led to this great match. And um, that really is kind of the body of this. There were some guys that I think fit that Talking point to one degree or another, particularly one who finished um, even higher on my ballot. But this is probably the prevailing theme here. Um, uh, Thor Terrio, let me correct you there, Sam. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, probably it's it's tough to say this, like because you could arguably say the same thing for Rex Andrews, who I had even higher, and for Jeremy Wyatt, who even as I look at this, I probably could have found an argument to have maybe. Maybe squeezed him into my top twenty um but Thor terrio in particular is a guy where he completely came out of nowhere, and I think if you watched n w l throughout the course of the year, the guy was awesome um he was awesome in multiple feuds over the course of the year. the Jeremy Wyatt two out of three falls match is was like one of my top twenty matches for the entire year from anywhere on the planet uh He's this crazy dude who's both a power wrestler and a flyer. Uh, like, it, it, He's just he's really good. And with NWL dying as of the day we record this, of all the guys there, he, he's the guy I most kind of am worried about doing something going forward because Jeremy Wyatt, I think, probably is at a point where he does not want to travel as much and doesn't have a desire to do a whole lot more, um, which sucks because he's completely amazing. Uh, but Four is a dude who has a look and a style where I feel like he could get over a lot of places. I just don't know that NWL had enough of an imprint or a buzz for him to really go anywhere and do anything off of it. And that sucks. Um, that really sucks. Uh, going through Gary J. Another one of those guys who I think is just a model of consistency. He's an, also another one of those guys where I feel like if you took his best few matches – and put him next to the best few matches of anybody else, he would rate really high. Like if you took his ladder match versus Andy Dalton uh, from Inspire, and his match versus Anthony Henry from the first round of the City Invitational, which was super underrated, one of the most underrated matches the entire year in my opinion, and his match versus Jake Parnell, uh, the, the the double knockout match from Zero One. Like if you took – there's probably some others that I, I could rattle off. If you took like his top matches and put them next to the top matches of a lot of other people, I think they would stack up really, really well. Never has a bad match. Never takes a night off. Works just as hard in front of t- 10 people as he does in front of 500, um, which goes a long way with me. Logan easton tremendous heel. Um, was a joy watching him in Nova all year. I think and if he's another guy where if you took his best matches and stacked them up, they would look pretty good. He had a nice little run in CWF2. Uh, the uh, Eric Royal match from the Nova Project 3 show and the um, Chet Sterling ladder match um, and the match that set up that were like in, incredible heel performances. I thought they were just excellent matches. As far as guys with character uh, in pro wrestling and fully knowing how to integrate it into their matches, he's near the top of the list. Darby Allin and DJ Z I kind of see as a couple of these sort of weird Lucha-inspired dudes who aren't completely Luchadors, who missed parts of the year because they're insane people, uh, but had, like, their their best matches are some of the standout matches of the entire year for me. Um, Rex Andrews. You know, If you don't watch Texas Indies, you don't even know who he is. Uh, if you watch Reality of Wrestling, he was the anchor of that show. Um, I don't think he had a match on Reality of Wrestling TV all year that would be lower than very good. Uh, some of them were great. Uh, the ACH match from Inspire is, in my opinion, one of the best unheralded indie matches of the entire year. Um, tremendous technical wrestler Sneaky good high spots I got the call his match with Gary J From IHWE in uh, Dallas In December Which kind of solidified to me How good the guy was uh, Ilya Ilya's an interesting one um, I could have easily had him higher But he's a guy where it was like It felt like so much of his argument Was, in, was, was tied into the two matches The Bad Bones match at the end of the year And the Walter match uh, at 16 karat both of which finished in my top 10 for the year. And I just didn't feel like I liked the avalanche feud, but I didn't think there were like, I didn't think anything from it hit the next level. And it felt weird ranking him any higher because of that. Uh, Kane justice is a wrestling prodigy. Uh, I think he was, even though I had two CWF people above him, I think from a week to week perspective, he was probably the MVP of CWF mid Atlantic in 2017. Um, and I think slowly over the course of the year, he proved he could do a lot of things. Like if you watch him versus Dominic Garini, which is a great match, both of them are, the second one's very good, but the first one's great. And then you watch him versus Cecil Scott, which is, you know, a retired announcer. And then you turn around and watch him at the end of the CWF Rumble or, or him versus Joey Lynch at the very end of the year. I think you can see the evolution in confidence and the, the ability to sort of, maintain his style without, without compromising um, the fact that you have... He, he maintains his stylistic integrity and his character without being so rigid in it that it can sometimes hurt his match. <clears throat> 2016 Timothy Thatcher. Uh, and that is, that is a, a character trait that I think a lot of better in some ways more experienced wrestlers don't ever figure out uh gresham was awesome it's just a matter of not having as many opportunities as he should um he's a guy where this year he would be in my top 10 right now um maybe even my top five uh tremendous grappler tremendous mat wrestler had a great run his peak matches were excellent whether it was the yay high series the joey lynch final for powerbomb.tv i mean there's a bunch of good stuff over the course of the year and Jeremy Wyatt, RIP NWL. Um, He's been a favorite of mine since the Metro Pro days. Um, uh, He's, you know, a guy kind of like Kyle Matthews, who you can put up against anybody and have a good match. Uh, I can't think of a wrestler who is better at adapting to an opponent uh, without compromising his character i tweeted this out yesterday actually before the nwl closure closure was announced, uh than him uh like i legitimately can't think of anybody at any level of wrestling um in some ways watching him wrestle in nwl over the course of the last year and a half has reminded me of like 1985 rick flair but he has better offense so uh take that for what you want
0: so Interesting, you have, uh, I believe four wrestlers here that make the top 100, so we don't know wrestling 100, um, Darby Allen being the highest at 41, um, now, then it seems interesting of these group of guys, you would think, uh, Ilya has the biggest matches, um, Gresham is pretty much a cult icon at this point, um, at 85 is pretty respectable I think for someone of first year in the business um you had no chance with Rex Andrews. it just never was gonna happen um but I'm excited to see the Stevie this Steve Ray prodigy here um yeah i I'm looking forward to Gary Jay's here um I don't know where it's gonna go now but the Jake Parnell feud seems to be uh still it's very, going it, it,
1: it, it's very good I mean he's the thing about Gary is he really he really doesn't have bad matches and I think he gets lost and he's underrated in some ways because he got right to the door of being a really big indie name, if you know what I mean. And then it was like the door got shut and I don't think that that is fair really, but that's just somehow, that's just sometimes how it goes. And I think he's driven and wants to get to the next level and There's, I don't know that there's a guy in wrestling who's a higher effort guy than him ever. I mean, the two guys, like when I think of indie wrestling guys that are guaranteed 100% effort and you never even have to question it. The first two guys that come to my mind are Gary J and Anthony Henry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For me, Gary J, ultimate effort guy, even if I don't always love everything he does, um, I can get it if that makes sense. Like I understand the thought behind it. Uh, and I'd rather him fail going hard than uh, take his foot off the gas, which he just doesn't do. Doesn't know how to do.
1: I actually I feel completely the same about him. That's a good way of putting it.
0: Um, but yeah, I had him at thirty three, so I'm not I'm not too far off uh, on Gary J here. Well, okay, there we go. Let's move on to twenty through eleven uh, as we approach the top ten here. Twenty, Kurt Stallion. Nineteen, Asuka. Uh, Asuka. Sorry, I'm in a habit. A 18. Gage. 17. Cesaro. 16. Braun Strowman. Uh, 15. Kazuchika Okada. uh 14. Tetsuya Naito. 13. Matt Tremont. 12. Johnny Gargano. Uh, 11. Trevor Lee. Uh, I'm just glad you didn't have the Drifter on this list, honestly. Uh As we go through this more. <laughs>
1: Uh, yes Elias did not make the cut I'm trying to remember who my absolute last cuts were and I don't remember off the top of my head I know I had Seth Rollins on the list and I took him off I had him in the 80s um, and I took him off because A I already knew a bunch of WWE guys were going to do well and B he's a case of a guy that I don't really like but I thought he had a lot of volume and it it was like it was one of those things where it felt weird having him that low but I didn't really think he deserved to be any higher, <laughs> so I just took him off the list. I, I think Air Fox was one of my last cuts too. I think I think Seth Rollins and Air Fox were two of like my last five cuts. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head who the rest were, um, and I and if I had to do it again, God knows it would probably change. That's how it always works with this. But um, top twenty is I think. Um, probably the thing on my list. I feel the most confident about actually, um, not necessarily all the exact placements, but I think that I feel pretty confident in 19 or 18 of these people being absolutely people who I would have in the top 20, even now. And the couple that I don't feel quite as confident about, it's not like they would be any more than a couple spots lower. So, um, as I look at this, you know, just now reflecting back a month or so after the deadline, I am actually pretty happy with with this, uh, which is weird because usually I have uh, buyer's remorse with stuff like this. Um, uh, Stallion at twenty, I think is I would I'm going to go ahead and say that's probably the most controversial thing in in like maybe even my top forty from the perspective of it's like you know there are other guys who are outliers that a lot, a lot of people ranked. But they didn't make it into the top twenty, and he did. Um, I look. I thought the guy had a great year. Um, I, I, you know, people can say what they want about um, you know some of the uh, things he says, of which he occasionally gets yelled at by me. Uh, people can say what they want about you know certain tropes he does in the ring that they don't completely buy into or whatever i don't know man like it you know people like i i've you know anytime that uh it it always makes me laugh when people sort of suggest oh this is dylan's boy or this is whoever's boy and this is why they rank them high and it's like there are a lot of guys in wrestling that i know that i like a lot that i talk to a lot privately that did not make this list um actually a whole lot and that's not me putting over the number of people I know in wrestling because that's whatever, who gives a shit. But um, the thing about Stallion is Stallion is a guy who's just won me over by being really good. Um, I get why people don't like certain parts of his act. But to me, the fact that you have this, you know, thin as a rail, no frills, Texas dude with an attitude who fights above, basically punches above his weight class. I don't know. That works for me. Maybe it's because of the way he carries himself. Um maybe it's because of the fact that I do know him uh you know somewhat personally and I I I I it's difficult for me to separate the reality of what I know from the character. Um I freely concede that, but when I look at his year, you know, I thought he was absolutely awesome in Glory Pro. I think one of the best sprints of the entire year was the E match from the first Glory Pro show. Nobody ever talks about it. Um, I would put it up there with any of the vaunted Oni Lorcan matches, honestly. I thought it was just as good as any of them. Um, uh, you know, I think his matches with Fred Yehi and Kyle O'Reilly in Glory Pro were bangers. I thought they were absolutely great. I thought his match with Dominic Greeny from Punk Pro WrestleMania weekend was awesome. One of the most underrated matches of the entire year, probably. Um, uh, I thought his work in AAW, I thought, was sneaky good. Because the thing about Stallion is, he's one of these guys that can do a bunch of crazy high spots, even though you don't think of him as a high spot guy. If you put him in a six-way or a tag team match and just say, go out and do a bunch of crazy stuff, he's capable of doing a bunch of crazy stuff. Um he's a guy that has sort of multiple signatures and finishers, which is a thing that I'm a mark for in wrestling. Cause it makes near falls more interesting. Um, you know, I thought he had a very good tournament at the SCI. Um, I thought he was very good in the scenic city trios tournament. Uh, I don't know. I just, I like, I thought he had a hell of a year across a lot of different places, working a lot of different places and not always in the style or way that you would think. And, um, I don't, you know, looking back at this, would he make my top 20 again? I'm not sure, but I'm positive he'd be in my top 25. Like, there's, there's, I can't see bumping him lower than 22 or 23, even as we sit here now. He feels, he was one of my favorite guys in the world to watch live last year. And that goes a long way with me because I saw like 100 wrestling shows live last year. So uh, that that carries a lot of legs. Um, As for the rest of this, Um, You know, several WWE guys, several New Japan guys. I think for a lot of people who have the perception that I hate New Japan, me having Okada and Naido so high would probably be a surprise. I thought both of them had really good years. I thought their best matches actually basically lived up to the hype, with the exception of the Okada Omega matches, which I didn't hate but also didn't love. Uh, But I did like a lot of Okada's G1. I love the Kojima match. I I love the second Suzuki match for the tournament. Um, you know, I liked several of his defenses a great deal. I thought Naido was excellent in the G1. I thought he was excellent beforehand. I think the character clearly trailed off by the end of the y- year in some ways, but in terms of actually producing at the classic level that so many people have talked about in New Japan main events, this was the first year where I really kind of felt that way about two guys, uh, and I, I wanted to reflect that on my ballot. Cesaro was always consistently great. He had a couple of singles matches late in the year, which helped him. But I think the bar had a great year as well. Uh, you know, Oscar and Johnny Gargano are two guys, are two people, I should say, who if they're if they had more opportunities, probably would have been in the top ten. Um, it's just a matter of opportunity. I mean, we're seeing it again with Gargano this year, where it's like he's really going to test my theory about whether or not uh, not making not whether or not volume matters as much as it used to. Because if I'm judging, like, it's hard not to have him number one so far in 2018. It's really hard. Uh, but he's had like four matches make tape or whatever. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I, so I don't know what to do with a guy who has two match of the year contenders and a, good, a very good but overrated TV match, in my opinion, with Almas, and I think maybe one or two other matches, and compare him to somebody like Riddle, who had twice as many matches WrestleMania weekend as Gargano has had the entire year. Um, that's going to be a real challenge for me. Um, Stroman, great year. I just don't think he had the meat to be any higher. Gage and Tremont, I think, is the enduring argument. Um, I think a lot of people had Gage higher, which I understand in a way from an oral perspective. I thought Tremont had a more, uh, obviously, the meatier resume because he was around for the full year. I thought his highs were really, just, frankly, just as high as the highs that Gage had. Uh, so for me that was the, the story there I just thought Tremont everything that Gage did uh, brings to the table Tremont to me brought to the table at least close to as well and he just had more volume uh, frankly uh, and Trevor Lee at 11 that's an interesting one um, especially because I'm uh, you know uh, one of the bigger CWF advocates for a long time on the internet I think this was a year where he, the the steam sort of has run out of that a little bit, I think. Um, and it's even more so in 2018 for me. It's not that the matches aren't good. It's that I don't care. Um, they, 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 the way he has been presented there, it's, I just can't get invested in the matches anymore, even when I admit that they're good matches. Uh, and when you have a title reign like that, if they can't, if, there's not, if they can't execute sort of a compelling narrative, from a match-to-match perspective that makes you think he has a chance of losing or that is so novel, like him versus, like, some scrub or whatever, uh, that that it becomes a problem. And I think they're in the problem phase of that title reign. Uh, It's not that I don't enjoy uh, the 2017 work. I mean, shit, I had him number 11 in the world. I thought a lot of it was really great. Uh, The Chip Day match was my match of the year. But it was a thing where by the end of the year I was kind of over the Trevor rain. And, um, I don't know. I don't know. Like it's, it's difficult to envision a scenario where he would be close to this high for me, uh, this year. There,
0: um, Trevor Lee ranked 35th, uh, 32nd, uh, this year. Um, coming at, uh, at the 38th placement in the, uh, average rankings. Um, which is interesting. Uh, he was ranked fifth last year though. Uh, so it was a big tumble, uh, pretty much across the board for Trevor Lee, uh, whether it be people that voted for him, uh, as well as just the overall placement. Uh, just going through this, obviously the Tremont gauge, uh, we discussed this at length at the formula knows always Barry Tanner's, uh, part three. Um, we're not doing that again tonight. Uh, Kurt, I think you and I have discussed Kurt, uh, Often a lot, um, what we enjoy, what we don't, what I don't enjoy. Um, I do have a question on Cesaro. Uh, in theory, if no one watches Cesaro and Seamus Tag match, uh, why is Cesaro 20 spots, over 20 spots higher?
1: Well, Cesaro had singles matches late in the year that were really good, okay. right? So, like, the Seth Rollins match from TV was awesome. To just take one example, there was, I think, maybe two or three others, and, um, Match to match, I, like, I always tend to like, it's weird. Uh, I think they complement each other really well, and I don't think the gap between them is actually that big. But I almost always like Cesaro's parts in the tag match a hair more. But normally these guys would be back to back. It's just that Cesaro had that, those handful of singles matches that I thought were like, the Seth Rollins match was like legitimately great. And I don't think Sheamus had a singles match all year that even stood out. So that's the difference.
0: Fair enough. Okay. Got it. Um, all right, let's go to your top 10. At 10, Eric Royal, nine, Pete Dunn, eight, AJ Styles, seven, Keith Lee, six, Timothy Thatcher, five, Freddie A. High, four, David Starr, three, Walter, two, Roman Reigns, one, Matt Riddle. Uh, Matt Riddle, uh that's that was your choice. That was the number one. That was the guy. Yeah, that was the yeah. guy.
1: And and not an easy choice, by the way. I'll 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 get to that, and you can question me on that because I actually have a lot to say about that. Although I don't want to keep you here all night. Um, I'll start with Eric Royal because I think really honestly he's. I mean, if you're looking at this, he's. I think it's fair to say the most controversial pick, right? I mean, or at least the most oddball pick to the average person. That's fair, right?
0: That is that I is mean, fair. Yeah.
1: Um, I had the good fortune of seeing him live several times last year. Again, that always helps guys, I, I and I don't feel bad about that uh, because I see so much live wrestling that it evens out in the wash anyway. Um, but the thing about Eric Royal is you could make a case that he was one of the five best heels and one of the five best babyfaces of the entire year because he's the lead babyface in Nova Pro, and he's one of the lead heels in CWF Mid-Atlantic. And they're two completely different characters, and he, had, he excelled and had great matches in both settings. And I think nowadays, there's really not a lot of guys that seem to be able to do that. Um, you know, even really good wrestlers, you don't see that ability to delineate between characters in different places so well. Um, it's funny, last year he had more high-profile opponents, probably, in Nova than he did this year. Uh, and really everywhere than he did this year. But I think in a way, this year was the year where you could, you could sort of prove beyond a shadow of a doubt how good he was. Because there was no argument of, oh, well, he's wrestling Tracy Williams and David Starr and Chris Hero and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, not that he's not still wrestling great wrestlers. But the argument against him sort of evaporates when he's wrestling Jesse Adler at the biggest CWF show of the year and has a really good match. I don't think anybody is going to be arguing that Jesse Adler carried at Eric Royal, unless you're an insane person. Um, there was a lot of sleeper, really good matches. He had a great match with Chet Sterling from CWF TV that I don't really think uh, got talked about enough. Uh, the Logan easton LaRoe match from, uh, that was in my top ten from Nova Project 3. Um, he proved He had some really good tag matches over the course of the year. Um, teaming with Chet against the ugly ducklings and some other places I thought he did well at the SCI and two completely different matches against completely different opponents, Dominic Greenie in round one and Kurt stallion in round two, uh, including taking the insane reverse Spanish fly as the finish to the Kurt stallion match, which uh, I lost a bet over uh, but um, <laughs> uh, I still can't believe that actually happened but uh, I just feel like there's you know if you watch something like the Snooty Fox match there, I'm not sure there's too many guys in independent wrestling who could have that match that he had with Snooty Fox in Chapel Hill in 2017. And, uh, in a way that's sad because in a way that match should be easier to have than some other matches that we see these days. But there's probably not a lot of guys who could do it. And, you know, in terms of some of my, like my, like some of the better carry jobs in wrestling rare, crow matches this year, or 2017. Some of my favorite matches were Eric Royal matches, and just that variance between characters is huge. Um, Pete Dunn is a guy where if he wrestled solely in the WWE, he probably would have made my top five. Uh, it's not so much that the indie stuff... I don't, I'm not one of these guys who think the indie stuff is terrible, but I also don't think it really added to his case at all. And, um, you know, that... When it doesn't add to your case at all, it's it's hard to get above some of these other people. Um AJ at eight, he obviously ended up winning uh the entire thing. I'll we can talk about that in the wrap up. Uh I'll maybe address that then. Uh, Keith Lee at seven. I think it's fair to say that maybe Keith Lee stocks sort of dropped in the eyes of some people a little bit as the year went on, but I think it we gotta remember that Mania weekend, he was the guy that I think really emerged as the as the guy and he had a lot of very good matches over the course of the entire year Uh, in terms of volume i think he would rank really really high and the first half of the year aura for him was tremendous if you want to argue that that changed in the second half of the year i would listen to it and probably even be sympathetic to it to a degree but the first half of the year i like i i think one of the mistakes that you sometimes see with these ballots is the first half of the year gets subsumed by the second half, and I consciously try not to do it. So, um, I, you know, I thought his second half of the year was very good. I thought his first half of the year was great, uh, and uh, I have no problem where where he ended up. Um, at one point, he was an outside contender for my number one. That really didn't end up being the case in the end. Thatcher, like Thatcher, Yehai, and Star, I see as like almost a group. Uh, I could flip any of those guys around, and I wouldn't really have a problem with it. Um, I had Thatcher at six, uh, only really only because he felt like a late realization to me, and I was wary about having him higher because I don't think I don't think I was. You know, it's a recency bias thing. It's also a situation where um, I, if somebody's not, and I'll get to this when I talk about my top three, but. If somebody's not taught, if, if there's not a critical lens that's really been laid on somebody, it's I, I have trouble justifying them at the top of a cluster. Um, and I I think Thatcher went from being the most overly criticized guy in wrestling to being one of the most uh, like under thought about guys, and sort of emerged out of the ether into being a top ten contender slowly over the course of the year, uh, just because of how great he was in WXW. Um, Really a great rebound year for Thatcher, though. Uh, Yehi, Yehi, honestly, would have been my number one if he had the signature matches and the signature feud. He just didn't. Uh, match to match, there's probably nobody I enjoyed watching more in, in, in 2017. Uh, in terms of doing unique and credible and interesting things, there's nobody better. Uh, the promoter of WBN said he was the MVP of the brand, and then he's not there anymore, which I think is fascinating. Um, that gave magic. He was, I mean, look, he was the guy working FIP style battle and all the evolve shows, uh, you know, and, and, you know, other than that, he really worked Nova and not many other places. And yet when you really look at it, he had a lot of great matches. It's just, they did, not none of them had the sort of storyline significance or that big build that you want. And ultimately when you get to this level, that's always going to hurt a guy, but, there's nobody I'd rather watch. Uh, David Starr was awesome. Great year. Uh, Sam, you, I was, I was high on his year, but I'll admit that you sort of influenced my thinking, got me thinking about him as a top 10 guy. Um, and he landed at number four, and I'm perfectly fine with that. He was your number one. Um, I don't think that's really a wild pick at all. Uh, I, I could see him as a number one contender, even though I really didn't consider it. Uh, to me, he was always, you know. In the last month, I had decided he was going to finish somewhere in this four to six cluster, and I put him at the top of the list because I thought he had the best high-end matches of the three people in this cluster. Um, and then there's my top three, and all three of these guys, I seriously considered for number one. Uh, I like at one point, every single one of them. I had at one point I had Walter number one. At one point I have Reigns number one. At one point I had Riddle number one, which is where he ended up being. Um, you know I think if you go back and listen to the formerly known as always Barry Tanners, Devon makes the, a great argument for Roman Reigns at number one um, it's better than any argument that I can make on the show um, I think Walter has a great argument, I understand why people had him number one um, it was tough uh, looking at this now, I might put Walter at two and Reigns at three if I had to do it again, I'm not sure but i don't think i would move riddle and you know one thing i want to say before i talk about riddle and i'm actually going to force you to ask me questions about him if you want sam but what one, one, one thing about walter walter's a great wrestler like tremendous um completely unique in the modern landscape and you know uh, I, I this is not meant as anything other than just a looking at him with a more critical lens but I personally feel that he basically coasts when it comes to wrestling critics. And I don't think it's because he's without fault. I think it's be, in part it's because he's unique. Uh, he's this big big dude from Austria who hits really, really hard. He has an incredible aura. He's much more versatile in the ring than he's given credit than just being a big dude. Um, but he never really loses that presence. Um, so I completely understand it. But I, I mean, Sam, actually I'm going to ask you. Of of the people in my top ten, and maybe even the overall top ten, is there? And Walter, I believe, actually would have won if it was based on average vote. Is that correct? Average ranking. that is correct. Okay, so if it was based on average ranking, Walter would have been number one. Okay, which I think is an important statistic, um, and maybe the most interesting statistic in the entire thing. I believe Walter was one, Okada was two, and Styles was three. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So that's, that's, I think a really interesting statistic, but, and and, you know, I'll do, I want to do a quick sort of rundown of the results, like, like the breakdown of certain thought process of that after this. And not that anyone Um,
0: cares, but, uh, Walter and Okada has a full rank difference in their average rank. And the only time you, next time you see that is going to be between, uh, Naito and Roman Reigns at, uh, six and seven for average rank.
1: Yeah, I think Walter was average ranking was like ten, right? Uh, Across
0: it, it came to it came to eleven, and then Okada oh was twelve. So okay,
1: yeah. But, but but my 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 point is Walter. The people who saw him, basically, of the people who saw him, he was pro- I think, you know, I don't want to say the clear number one, but but was like sort of the the, you know. The WWE guys are always going to have advantages. The New Japan guys are going to always have advantages. Um, he's the guy with, that, that was, you know, sort of was able to c- come through that and still get into the top 10 overall and still, uh, you know, with a tremendous average ranking, uh, an average ranking above Riddle, who finished higher than him, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but in your opinion, do you think I'm off base and thinking that he gets a pass in terms of critical engagement, more than any other guy in indie wrestling,
0: probably. Um, I also don't know if he's been put into a position to really fail, uh, so to speak. But like, I don't. I think the only time we're going to be able to tell, uh, get into that sort of critical analysis of Walter is to see him stumble, um, because that's when you can start picking apart that match, and then you can start viewing his entire body of work and see if that kind of shows through. Uh, once you find the chink in the armor, it's a little bit easier to see that uh, in a body of work. Um, but if you're not seeing it going along the way, a lot, a lot more difficult.
1: Sure, sure. And I mean, here's the thing: he'd, pro- he'd be in my top five for this year, right, so far. And maybe, and like maybe even my number one. Like, because I, I don't have an idea of who my number one would be right now as we record this. It could be Walter. It could be Riddle. It could be Gargano. It could honestly, it could be Almas. Like, there's several people that I could theoretically see as my number one right now. And I completely get it. But when I was doing my ballot, ultimately the reason I didn't have Walter number one was it bothered me that I don't think he's a guy that, that where there's, a, I think we're still in the fanboy stage with Walter, right? We're still in that stage where everybody is purely celebrating him. And actually, and to some degree, that's when wrestling's at its best. So it's not like I'm ripping that. Uh, but if you're the sort of person who's going to be doing these ballots, like, if you're the sort of that type of wrestling geek, (laughs) I feel like you have to be tested by an alternative hypothesis to be my number one. You have to be somebody that I can, that where there's been an alternative hypothesis presented. um, And, you know, and, and, and some people will, I'm sure the counter of some people will say is, well, there's not an alternative hypothesis because there isn't one. (laughs) Well, I don't buy that because I don't believe in a perfect wrestler. I think there's not an alternative hypothesis because the guy has primarily worked in one or two companies with a few, like a little bit in Evolve, a little bit of Prog- or a little bit of PWG, but primarily WXW in progress. And I think he's not like, to me there's a big difference between a guy who's wrestling in those controlled and like controlled environments like that, where he's always going to be presented a certain way. And a guy like Riddle who had death matches versus Matt Tremont and Nick Gage and was going down to Southern Indies to wrestle in tournaments where he was wrestling basically all regional guys and uh, was, you know, kind of put in the ace of beyond at times role and the ace of evolve role. So, I mean, like, and then was expected to go over progress where he was as a big lad, even though he's not really a big lad. Like, I, to me, there was just way more variance in what the expectation was for Riddle than what the expectation was for Walter. And I understand all the criticisms of Riddle. I'm actually sympathetic to some of them, right? Like, I don't love I don't like the upkick spot at all, although he weirdly did use it in a kind of a really interesting way in some of the matches of Romania Weekend. But generally speaking, I'm not a fan of that spot, right? Um, I'm not a fan of the German no-sell sometimes, although I do think part of the issue here is, is Riddle's portrayal and people not fully getting it, but there's other things I don't entirely love, but, 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 but Riddle does have that aura. He is special. Um, you put it, putting him up against a gauge or a Tremont or a tank or whoever, it feels like you're going to see something special and dynamic and different and wild and crazy in a way that is not the case for a lot of other great wrestlers. It just isn't. I'm sorry. Um, there, there's there's a there's a quality that he has that you can't fully put your finger on that is there. Um, I think a lot of the criticism Riddle gets is criticism about people uh, that is directed at who people think he should be rather than who he is. I think a lot of people want him to be Volkan, but this is a guy who got into wrestling and decided he wanted to be a wrestler by watching Daniel Bryan win the title at WrestleMania. Um, and I think... If you if you view his career through the prism of that fandom, uh, you know, I think it's a lot more fair than if you view his prism th- through the view his career through the prism of, uh, I like UFC and he's a UFC fighter so he should do grappling. Like I don't I don't think that's a fair way to, to sort of view what riddle is about. I think that's like projection projection of kind of the lowest kind. Um, and don't get me wrong. I love when he does the grappling stuff. I think the no rope trope that he's going to be doing in evolve now has already helped his matches there, but it does bother me that he seems to be this guy where people want to, he gets penalized for not being the fantasy people have. Does that make sense? like, it's like,
0: people it, I, I admittedly it feels a little bit like your argument uh, about having Sabre Junior at thirty five. Sure, um,
1: sure, and I and 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 I I think that's fair to a degree. Like, I mean, I, here's the thing: I don't, I'm not above somebody pointing out the hypocrisy or flaws in my argument. I mean, there are t- there are certainly times where I've been wildly wrong about a wrestler or a match, and then I look back and I'm like, God, I'm fucking dumb. Uh, I I you know. The older I get, the more I, the less resistant I get to being challenged on those sort of things. Um, And in fact, the more I kind of encourage them. Um, But, and and that, and that actually very well may be a fair point. Which is not to say
0: you're being hypocritical. It's to say that. No, no, no. That just resonates. Maybe I am.
1: But, but I don't, but I, but I'm also not in denial that that's possible, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not somebody who's going to react to that with venom uh, because I think we all are actually when it comes to these sorts of things. But um, there, it definitely feels like riddle is a guy who like, I think he's greater than the sum of his parts. I think that's the best way to look at Matt riddle. I think, you know, a micro analysis of a Matt riddle match will oftentimes pull out things that I don't love or that a lot of people don't love. And I totally understand but then when I pull back and I look at the to- total picture, it's like, God, look at all these very good to great matches across a wide variety of p- promotions. And it's difficult to ignore that. You know, it's difficult. Like, look at how many guys had their best match or one of their best matches of the year versus Riddle. It's a whole lot of people, and it's a lot of weird people, too. Like, if you, if you had told me at the beginning of 2017 that, you know, Matt Riddle would have the best match of Gunnar Miller's career, I would have thought that's a weird opinion. Like, I like I, you know, I mean, I was one of the people that booked the match, and I didn't think it would be that good. Um, it just – this is kind of a, a theme with him, and it, it shows up over and over and over again where – you think, oh, I'm kind of over this or, or, or some people think that and then they'll have a match and everybody gets excited about it and it ends up being really good and then it's like we're right back to but Eno sells Germans. And what I don't think people realize is Riddle, part of what he is is kind of a, a indie version of Brock Lesnar if Brock Lesnar actually sold some And, you know, was, was athletically capable and had cardio. Um, so when you're seeing Matt Riddle Hulk up after, over, after a German, to me, the way I have grown to perceive it. And I think this is reflected in his character and his presentation. I view that not really dissimilar from like Brock Lesnar kicking out, uh, you know, at one after a, a finish of a WWE guy. Right. Um, I get that maybe some people don't buy that. Maybe, maybe for some people he's not physically big enough for that to make sense, or they don't think it's a consistent enough theme. And I understand that to a degree, but in my mind, riddles portrayal is sort of this hybrid fighting machine that is such an athletic freak that the rules don't always apply to him. And I have slowly bought it more and more. The more I've seen it, um, I don't know if it's because of the volume of times that I've seen it and it's just been drummed into me or if it's because of his portrayal. I'm honestly not sure. But there are things like, you know, the float over superplex into the jackhammer spot that he does with Gunnar Miller at the SCI for a lot of wrestlers, you know, for him to kick out of that, I would have thought it was stupid. But in that match, it to me would have been stupid for him not to (laughs) like it's, it, it, it's the character. It's what he is. And I don't, if you don't get the character, I, I guess I understand it. But the wish fulfillment of him being a different character, um, I don't know. I, I, I think we're to a point where he's not ever going to be Vulcan. He probably shouldn't be Vulcan if he wants to be commercially successful, by the way. And I think people just need to get over it. Uh, you know, and if they don't want to get over it, that's fine. I mean, you, you, it's whatever, but I, he's, he, it, it's, it's one of the, it's like, it's clear that to the majority of people who are watching indie wrestling, it works. And it's clear that the guy has a high volume of good matches doing it. And even a lot of great matches, because the other reason that I had riddle number one is when I broke it down and looked at it, there was nobody who had more matches that would have made my overall personal 100 than him. I think I had like 15 or 16 matches when I was kind of going through it that were Riddle matches. And I don't think anybody else had more than 10. And, you know, I I don't know. Like, I, I I don't think this was a runaway year. It's not the kind of year where I think Riddle was clearly the best guy in the world. I don't believe that. But I thought the arguments against him in a way sort of strengthened my view that he was the best wrestler uh, overall because despite agreeing with a lot of these arguments, at least to some degree, it, it never felt like he shouldn't be a number one contender. And um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one. It's an interesting one for sure. And he ended up finishing third overall, which to me was kind of a surprise.
0: Yeah. So I feel like I during formerly known as Always Barry Tanners three, uh, I think I went pretty pretty hard at Riddle. Um, Riddle, Riddle could handle it. Um, proud supporter of the Making Towns Classic uh, and the SCI, Uh Matt Riddle, and I did that just because I think we're, we saw it this WrestleMania weekend there were, there were traits of him in 2017 that became more apparent than they had. John sixteen, I believe in, in my eyes um that sort uh, of I think
1: that I think that's basically fair but I would also say that his
0: role changed a little bit but go ahead that took away from some of these matches that felt like oh these are real good these are real good why they throw that in that seems like a stable spot that got jammed in there uh and sometimes it makes some sort of contextual sense um I just don't like some of those spots in the hole. I uh, like the no-sell Germans. Um, I think he can hold some of his matches for being real top-tier match-of-the-year candidate matches that um, I'm throwing at Voices of the Wrestling uh, at the end of the year. And something that's going on my spreadsheet, and I'm like, yeah, that was a real good match. That was really good. Um, so it's he's the victim of not being uh, having tropes that I think detract from him taking it to the next level on a match-per-match basis. But, again, I am at number 11, so it, it really – that's not a huge thing. Uh, it's not detrimental to his case to a, a degree which places him in the bottom half or something like that. Um, I think that's a sizable flaw uh, in a wrestler that this year may be top five for me.
1: And, and, by the way, I think that's fair. Like, to me, him at number 11 is a completely fair rank. Like, I wouldn't even argue it, you know? Like – I, like it's not he's, because I feel like this was a year where there wasn't actually a clear runaway run, number one this wasn't a year like to me in 2016 you know uh, Hero and AJ and Riddle I thought clearly separated themselves from the pack that's how I felt about it, um, it in 2016 in 2017 it ended up that I had three guys that I sort of de facto had rank, separated themselves from the pack which were my top three But I don't feel nearly as strongly about it as I did in 2016, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, Question, did you see the Justin Sison match from 3CW that Matt Riddle had from November?
1: I did not, actually.
0: I I would highly recommend that. It may be my favorite Matt Riddle match uh, of 2017, um, where he is pitted against someone that may be equally freakishly athletic as him, uh, which is saying something. So there you go. I will,
1: I will check that out. I mean,
0: Sunday award winning high spots
1: wrestling network. I know we've been talking for a long, long time and, and maybe we shouldn't talk too much longer, but I do. Is there anything about the results this year? Like the overall results that you want to hammer home? Because privately you and I talked some during the process. Um, You know, I never knew what the results were until the end. I want to make that clear. Sam didn't spoil anything to me until, you know, it was public to other people, but
0: the only person there, that knew before the results came out was Coro, who was helping me with match uh, recommendations.
1: Sure, sure. Like, but I did know from talking to you privately because we're friends that the you it was evident to you very early on that the WWE was going to do very well in this, and I also know that it was evident to you very on, very early on from your perspective, you felt like. Uh, nobody was going to be happy with the top 10 in the end (laughs) that it was going to be a situation where everybody was going to sort of um complain about that so what like how do you feel about how things shook out ultimately regarding both wwe representation and the top 10
0: so it actually happened that only only one spot people seemed to complain about was number one uh it wasn't even the whole top 10 it was just one tenth of that so that was a pleasant surprise um and like we've kind of discussed is when you added more made it more public had more ballots wwe guys uh, the most visible product on the planet is going to rise it's just that's just how it works um and going through kind of different formulas here if i eliminate the 50 ballot how does that affect things um if i weight points slightly differently does that affect things so on and so forth um there's really no there's not very many ways around it, honestly. Uh it is what it is. Uh and at the end of the day I'm not too terribly mad how this whole thing came out when uh Timmy Thatcher, David Starr, uh Walter, Matt Riddle, they're all in the top twenty one. Freddie Ahe is in there. Um so we still have some good representation from the Indies as well as New Japan. Um so I I was fairly happy with how this whole thing turned out. Um and my biggest worry was that folks that had very Japanese-centric or had a lot of Lucha folks on their ballots uh, not well represented in the top 100 would be feel marginalized to a degree. I don't like using that word, but I uh, would feel like their, their voice wasn't as important as it may have been last year uh, or something like the WKO 100, um, which had a very distinct voice, where this list did not have a very distinct voice. It had a uh, kind of a hodgepodge view of professional wrestling through the scope of a niche bubble of wrestling Twitter, um, which I liked, which I liked.
1: Um, I mean, personally, and I agree with most of everything you said there personally, the only change that I would strongly recommend to the process is I think if you're, if you're submitting a ballot that features wrestlers from only one promotion, and I know the, the, one of the guilty parties that this has already taken himself out of submitting about last year, so it's not really relevant, but I feel like this, this, this should have been probably a rule this year. I feel like if you're good – that's what the top 50 is made for. You know what I mean? Like I think you could do a top 50 of WWE-only guys and it would be a pretty fair and accurate and like reasonable list, right? Like I don't think that – but to me, a top 100 of only WWE guys – is really stretching it. Like, like I, I, you know, and I'm a pretty big fan of WWE from an in-ring perspective, but I'm not sure that you can get to a hundred, like, I don't know. Like, to me, that's like the one change uh, that I would make. Other than that, you know, it is what it is. When you have more voters, you're going to have less opportunity for some of the more niche wrestlers to... um, climb to the top but I also didn't feel like it was a case of anything totally absurd one, one interesting thing that I noticed in the results was that uh, the top it, among the top 10 uh, people that finished in the top 10 the there were more number one votes for people that were New Japan centric primarily than there were for people who were WWE centric primarily if I'm not mistaken and I thought that was interesting. I also thought it was interesting that AJ Styles finished number one, even though there were several wrestlers who got more number one votes than he did. Several. Uh, not just one or two, like several guys who got more number one votes than he did. That, to me, is actually really interesting. And as we talked about at the time on Twitter, and I guess it's worth mentioning here, I think most people were kind of unhappy with AJ finishing number one. But it, it's this is what... This is, I think, sort of the byproduct of having a modern hardcore wrestling fan culture that is so sort of split into camps is if you've got a guy that every camp sort of agrees is good, they're going to sort of slide into the gap when everybody disagrees on everybody else. So like somebody like me, I didn't even have Kenny Omega on my top 100, which I think to some people is probably insane. Um, You know, but I had AJ Styles number eight. You know, like – and there were other people who probably didn't have any WWE guys at all on their list other than AJ Styles or maybe a couple. And that – you know, for all the whining about, oh, how did AJ finish number one? That's how he finished number one. (laughs) You know what I mean? He finished number one because he's the demilitarized zone of wrestling Twitter. He's the guy that everybody sort of agrees – Yeah, he's a great wrestler. And people can say, well, he didn't have that great of a year because he had that time off, like in the middle of the year, which wasn't very good. It wasn't very good, but it also wasn't terrible. It was fine. And he closed the year strong. He opened the year pretty strong. Um, I, I just feel like we should have seen it coming. Sam, I'm sure as you were watching the results roll in, you were probably laughing to yourself. But I feel like this is a situation where the voters should have realized that this was going to happen just by knowing how split into camp so much of the rest of the discussion is between indie fans or fans of Japan or whatever.
0: Yeah. Um, admittedly it is kind of a little funny. Um, let me kind of go through this here. Um, so 36 ballots come in in the last three days. Um, at that point, AJ Styles was a top 10 wrestler. Uh, he was not in really contention for number one. He was maybe, I think, 5 through 10, uh, somewhere in there. Um, it was all a, a series of those 36 ballots in the last three days in the month that moved him like mountains. Uh, and it was, That was what was so interesting is I didn't see it coming until the very, very end. Um because when I was saying, Wow, these folks are within ten points of each other, um, that was Zack Saber Jr. O'Connor and Walter. Um
1: Wow, that 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 is fascinating.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> uh the the three people above them, not they were in the picture but they they weren't that close. Um and then as thirty six ballots come in, obviously plans change. Um and that's how you get AJ Styles at number one. Well, there you yeah,
1: go. Yeah, that's, that, that's a strange one. I am surprised. That's a nice little uh, nugget of info, little director's cut nugget of info that you dropped there at the end of this marathon, Sam, which people probably won't even get to. <laughs> but uh, it's, it is it is it is interesting to see how much the product, the the things can shift in the last minute when you have that volume and that surge. Probably by, let's be honest, a lot of people with more WWE centric viewing habits or more, I don't want to say casual because if you're voting in this, you're absolutely not a casual fan, but maybe not quite the degree of obsessive that some of the people who had put ballots in sooner were. And I, I think that is definitely an, an an interesting story. It, It shows that when you open up the process, things can radically change. Uh, I imagine that it was like Nate Silver looking at election results as Trump was surging ahead of Hillary <laughs> on uh, on uh, election night uh, in in 2016.
0: Well, and also as some of the voters that didn't even vote last year, they became more invested in the process. You have 35 folks uh, now invested and want to see the results. They're retweeting the ballot. Um, it's the last moment, so everyone's mentioning, "Hey." Do this, which I deeply appreciate, um, and that message goes pretty wide. Um, and that was just the f- happened to be uh, that group of thirty-five or so that uh, those tweets captured. Um, so it just it was interesting to see how that all played out uh, in the end. But yeah, uh, I don't I don't know what changes I'll make next year. You mentioned that one, uh, but as we've sort of discussed, I'm not sure if I want to limit folks' uh, selection of people to who to vote for uh, in some any shape or way or form. Uh, but like who knows? We got again, a while to make any clear-cut calls here. Um, but I am very happy with this, how this project came out. Um, hopefully uh, people are going to be looking at this for, for a while. Um, uh, 2016 is also up on spandexarestillcool.wordpress.com so you can see that version of the list, uh, the top 100. Um, so, yeah, we got kind of got a little little database kind of going here uh, of wrestlers from years gone by that we should be checking out and me- remembering.
1: Yeah, 100%. I, I, one thing that I would also stress to Sam uh, real quick before we go is... I would love to see more participation on the forum this year. I realize that forums are out of vogue. Twitter is, is how all of us communicate more these days, and that's probably not going to change. But if there's one criticism I had of the process, it's that I wish there had been more people chiming in uh, with comments. Um, you know, This early in the year, I don't think it matters as much because it's kind of hard to hash out. Like, to me, almost until you get to the midway point of the year, it's really difficult to make strong cases one way or the other because something like an entire promotion uh, could fold, for example, <laughs> but, where, where you might have had, like, multiple guys who were, like, top 20 contenders in it. Uh, but once you get to, like, that six-month mark, I would love to see more people chipping in and giving thoughts at the forum and just a higher level of engagement. I thought we had some pretty good engagement last year. Uh, but I think the the level could be higher. And if we've got this volume of voters, you know, over 70, I would like to see, you know, at least uh, a few, uh, a, a dozen or more who are sort of active posters than what we had last year, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. And uh, last year, I think even on Twitter, like until we were getting to the actual voting period, there wasn't a lot of discussion about it. Um, I sent out a tweet about who's your current front runner? I got 32 replies. Uh, So that's, I think encouraging as far as keeping the conversation going throughout 2018. Um, Not just waiting to the very last minute to have have those discussions, allowing people to talk up matches uh, that may have happened in March and have those conversations in July. Uh, Don't let stuff to kind of go uh, unturned. Um, Everyone kind of pimp your favorite dudes, uh, pimp your favorite ladies. Uh, That's probably came out very wrong. Both ways. Sorry about that. Um, just promote uh, the matches and the folks that you want to see succeed this year. Um, I personally prefer Under the Radar folks, but uh, whoever that may be, um, I think that'd be very cool. Well, alright. There it is. That's the show. We've been, we've gotten a little over two hours here um, according to my recording. Uh, but I appreciate you being on Dylan and kind of going through your ballot and your thought process with me.
1: Of course. Yeah, I really wanted to do this. I thought about recording one solo at one point uh, right before Mania, and it didn't work out. And I really would rather do it with somebody uh, else sort of bouncing comments off along the way anyway because I talk too much as it is. Uh, and uh, you are obviously the perfect person to do it with since it is, in fact, your brain child. So uh, yeah, happy to be here. Uh, should I do? Should I do plugs, Sam? I haven't plugged anything at all up to this point. So, uh, <laughs> I
0: thought we. I thought ninety through eighty one was your, your your only your plug time. That was the only. Should I
1: do? But I'm not done with my plugs. That's the problem. I have other things to plug. Uh, uh, so let's let's see if I can do. I want you to put me on a timer. Let's see if I can do all my plugs before the Skype call says two minutes and twenty. Or t- two hours and twenty minutes. So I'm gonna start right now. Okay. You can follow me on Twitter at Dylan Waco. That's D-Y-L-A-N-W-A-C-O. Scenic City Invitational Tournament coming up Saudi Daisy High School, Chattanooga Metropolitan Area on August 3rd and 4th. Tickets are already on sale. We have five entrants already announced. Corey Hollis, Kyle Matthews, Two Cold Scorpio, Nick Gage, and Fred Yeah. You can follow us at SCI Tournament. You can get your tickets from me for that event. $15 floor seats, $10 general admission. By DMing me at Dylan Waco or emailing me dylanwaco at gmail.com. Southern Underground Pro coming up April 22nd, Basement East, uh, 2 p.m. start time. That's Central Time in Nashville. Uh, Kurt Stallion versus Dominic is on the card. MJF versus Mant Warner. Kerry Offal versus Brett Eisen and more. Follow us up at SUP underscore graps on Twitter. The Making Towns Classic is coming up on May 12th at Nashville Fair at the Nashville Fairgrounds in Nashville. One show, or excuse me, one day, two show event. You can get your tickets by messaging at MikeHales9 on Twitter. Great event. uh, One one day, two-show women's women's tournament. Jordan Gray, Sue Young, uh, Isla Dawn, uh, Alley Cat, some of the best uh, women's wrestlers in the United States, really in the world, are in that tournament. Also, Action Wrestling, their debut show, Fred Fred Yeha versus Kane Justice, Gunnar Miller versus Dominic Greeny, coming up in Tyrone, Georgia on the 27th. Of April, just a couple of weeks away, get your tickets, follow them on Twitter, and I'm done.
0: You made it with about seven seconds to spare. Um wanna note that the action wrestling has those two matches. Uh, big dub, big we don't know wrestling one hundred implications right there. That's that goes without saying. That's
1: huge. <laughs> huge <laughs> implications. <laughs> I would argue that all of these shows have have uh we don't know wrestling one hundred implications, but that there're definitely two high banger possibilities on that show. Uh
0: so I know you're you're pretty influential uh out there, Dylan. Uh you're you're an influencer so to speak. Um if you could just kind of say uh have these promotions put that into uh their promoter tweets, that'd be great. Uh huge we don't know wrestling 100 implications. I can retweet that. Uh it's a win-win for everyone. Um and there we go. Uh
1: I'll look into it. <laughs> I'll see what I can do.
0: Uh, Well, thank you once again for being on. This has been great. Um, Everyone else, do your own two-hour-plus podcast on your thought process. For your We Don't Know 100 ballot, Uh, that'd be great. Um, Well, you can find me on Twitter at concrete nineteen ninety two. Leave a review on iTunes. I have not posted uh, a podcast in a while. I'm hoping to do this more frequently going forward, but we shall see. Uh, And with that, I, I bid you farewell.